What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Crazy Ant Farm. Holy moly, episode 91 this week. Woo! It's yeah. quickly approaching. It is. A hundred is quickly approaching. Hell yeah. It's Hell amazing. Yeah. And I mean, we have a great episode for you guys today. Today's guest is going to be Carol Barbie. Oh my goodness. We've been talking about for a couple weeks now, trying to find guests that work more behind the scenes. And oh man, this lady is just epic. Yeah. Phenomenal writer and showrunner. If you guys, Netflix's biggest hit right now, like Raising Dion, mm -hmm. it's been a huge hit. I mean, just getting amazing reviews, the phenomenal cast. Well, this is the creator behind the show. She's creator and showrunner and writer. And she's been a showrunner on like a ton of huge hits mm -hmm. on, all over television. So yeah, this is going to be really good. We always enjoy hearing it from a women's perspective too, yeah. you know, because we're huge into women in film and women in television. And, and, and it's all always just fascinating to hear the approach and how the industry has changed and all the kind of and we just like to put it out there because we know we got a lot of what female listeners that are trying to get into the industry and i think this is it's going to be a phenomenal interview bro definitely definitely and of course we got so much industry news for you guys this week <laughs> i mean of course disney netflix hulu what? all of the above and then you know last week we teased this week's top five top five joe pesci movies yes you know yeah yeah so funny so funny because we were talking about it and we actually forgot the top five so we had to go back and listen to last week's episode. <laughs> it happens we're almost 100 exactly we're almost 100 exactly it happens hell yeah i think the utes are really gonna like that right. uh, top five though it's gonna be great agreed agreed and your hosts for this episode are myself jaylo fantastic and the one and only mouth what's up and before we get this thing started you know i gotta plug our website crazyantmedia.com head over there click on our merchandise tab and start grabbing your crazy ant media gear we got hats sweatshirts polos all that good stuff beach bags you know going out here in la grocery shopping they cost 10 cents for a plastic bag so get yourself a crazy ant bag and just start rocking and seriously rolling. seriously it helps the environment and you look badass doing it exactly. like it's, i'm just saying exactly exactly well let's start with the juggernaut disney <laughs> the mouse house that's right when are they not like in the news man mm -hmm. since the streaming wars and th th and we're going to talk a lot about them because they got a lot of stuff going on uh but disney ceo the the mastermind the visionary the guy bob Iger. yep just fantastic. I, I love Bob Iger. He has reaffirmed, which I guess nobody was questioning. I mean, we've been talking about this for months, especially if you listen to the show, you know. He reaffirmed that there are plans for a Star Wars slowdown. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, they kind of jumped on this, though. You know, they bought Lucasfilm back in 2012. Okay. Yeah. Since then, they've made three installments in the Skywalker franchise. 2015, 2017, and then this year they're doing the, the third one, right? Yeah. They did uh, two spinoffs, Rogue One and, and Solo, in 2016 and 2018. So basically 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, they were hammering with Star Wars films. Mm -hmm. And Iger just kind of like realized maybe that was a little too much too fast. Exactly. Um, and I mean, get this, guys. This final installment of the Star Wars franchise, originally envisioned by George Lucas, is going to be it. That's going to be it for his stories. That's like, going to be it. And we just read some interesting stuff too. Apparently, we, we give Ryan Johnson a lot of heat. Yeah. And we don't mean to, but we do. But apparently, The Last Jedi, not all what it was cracked up to be. Apparently, yeah. Leia. And th th this is weird because Carrie Fisher finished shooting prior to her death. Mm -hmm. But 
apparently was supposed to be the person in Rise of Skywalker, the yeah. Rise of Skywalker, and they were that was going to be set up in the Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, and Mark Hamill talked about this, and and it brought up a really good point. If you notice in the first one, The Force Awakens, it was all Han Solo. Yeah. The second one, it was all about Luke. Exactly. The third one, the final, was supposed to be all about Leia and her ascension to the Last Jedi and the rise of the final Skywalker. Yeah. And obviously, with her passing, that right. didn't happen. So they had to go and change the story a little bit. So I kind of feel bad about knocking Ryan Johnson a little bit now. Yeah. Maybe that movie could have been better than it ended up being had, you know, they been able to, you know, it explains a lot. According to her brother, she was supposed to get the lightsaber and finally start wielding some Mm. badass Jedi skills. And that would have been epic. It really would have been. It sucks that we can't see that now. No, but J.J. Abrams, though, he did piece together. Apparently there was eight minutes of unused Leia footage from from The Last Jedi, yeah. and he used that and kind of reverse engineered, and that's where we're going to get all the footage in, in Rise of Skywalker, and they are going to send her out kind of in the fashion mm-hmm. that... And, and that's the reason the family was okay with it. At first, they were like, no, she's passed. We don't want to put right. her in there. But he said that J.J. had such a love for Carrie Fisher and, so, and was, was beloved by the family that they knew he would do her right, right. and they agreed to let him do this in, in this final film. So yeah. that'll be interesting. Definitely. Now, we should say, though, you're, you're excited about this one. I'm excited about this. They are slowing down on the films. Yeah. But they have no plans on, like, abandoning Star Wars. As you guys know, and I'm thrilled about this because Favreau, you talked about, he's just one of my all-time favorite directors, The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. It will be debuting on November 12th when when Disney Plus hits. There's going to be a ton of Star Wars stuff on Disney Plus, guys. The Boba Fett series coming and stuff like that. So they're... They're and they slowing also, down. They're, they're putting all, whole, all of the uh, Clone Wars stuff, all the stuff yes. they had on previous uh, platforms like on Disney, uh, Nickelodeon, I'm not Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, all that right. is also going to be on Disney+. Plus. Right, and then the Obi-Wan series. Mm-hmm. And so like they're slowing down on the films, but not necessarily on Star Wars yeah. itself. Yeah. So I'm excited. We'll see. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm a, Mandalorian just looks epic. It does. The uh, Space Western extraordinaire, if exactly. you, I mean, really. I mean, come on, it's Favreau. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, come on. Exactly. And I mean, as him as a showrunner, it's fucking epic. Yeah, and it's got Monning Wen so from like Agents of Shield, mm-hmm. and like I mean, come on, hello, mm-hmm. it's gonna be badass. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, sticking with the Mouse House on the television side of things, ABC is developing a sequel to its 2011 to 2015 drama Revenge. Mm. This new project was, which is in early stages of development, by the way, so it might not come around sooner than what we're talking about. They just announced it. Right, right. Um, it will center around a Latinx-led character, and the story will have a connection to its predecessors. So at least they'll give the two like a bridge somehow. Right, right, right. And I, I don't know. I mean, do we need this? <laughs> that's exactly my question. Like, do we need this? And I mean, like. The first one was was a it came out of the gate real hot. Right. It was a huge hit. The first couple seasons, and then it kind of slacked off a little bit. But the main star was Emily Van Camp, mm-hmm. who's riding high on the resident right now on Fox. So yeah. no chance she's going back. Um, and like I said, it's going to be centered around different characters. And while they're going to try to connect it, I mean, I feel like is everybody trying to jump on the American Horror Story right. type thing where it's like different sets of characters like every season, but it's all connected kind yeah. of that. I just I don't think we need this one, man. I, agree. I, I mean, Revenge was okay, but I, I just I don't I don't think we need it. Yeah. 
I agree, man. I agree. And I mean, they have also given a put the pilot commitment to a show called Freedom, a multi camera comedy from writer producers Susan Martin and Sean Hayes and Todd or Todd Milliniers, Hazy Mills. Yep. Uh, and U- Universal TV, where Hayes Mills is based. And Freedom, written by Martin, five very different women. It's about five very different women who are chose in the early release from an overcrowded Florida prison. So what now? Right. Like, interesting premise. Right. Um, you, you know, a show that's doing this, it's not a comedy, it's a drama. But there's a there's a subplot storyline regarding this kind of a subject that's doing it really well is Bluff City Law. Yeah. It's about a guy who was wrongfully convicted because he confessed. Um, but he was innocent and he gets out after all these years in prison and then doesn't know how to reacclimate back into society. Yeah. I imagine that is a problem for a lot of people who go in, especially if they are for like smaller crimes right. or like nonviolent. We're not talking like crazy criminals, no. but people for whatever reason who made a mistake or they are wrongfully convicted and go in, I would imagine it is a pretty tough situation coming back it out, trying to figure out how to get, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It, it sounds, but comedy? Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I know. Um, Maybe like they're trying to take a orange of the new black feel, but on the outskirts. I don't know. I, I guess uh, Sean Hayes though, really funny guy. You know, Will and Grace. I mean, he, he's he's a phenomenal actor and he's a great comedian. So if he's involved, I, I feel like it's got something good attached. And I, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, this next one, Zahara Phillips has been hired as director of production at Fox Searchlight Pictures. Phillips will be joining the current team to identify, develop, and supervise production of the Searchlight films. Uh, reporting to Matthew Greenfield and David Greenbaum, uh, <laughs> Biome, or whatever. Or Greenbaum. Uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Greenbaum. There you Greenbaum, go. Um, the president of production for film and television. Yeah, I think this one is interesting. Yet another move by Disney for, for diversity and putting a woman in charge. Um, but Which is odd because if you guys are following anything along, a bunch of former Disney female employees are suing them yeah. because they did not get equality and equal pay. And like this lawsuit was uh, – a judge refused to throw it out. So that's still going down. So these moves when they are making moves with putting women in, in key positions, it's interesting. I mean the way it's all playing out. But I think this is a good one. And I thought this was interesting also because Fox Searchlight, a lot of people thought, was on the chopping block. Yeah. Remember, they were killing a lot of Fox films. They were laying off a shit ton of Fox employees. And everybody thought maybe Fox Searchlight was on the cutting board, um, but has survived. Mm-hmm. And apparently they're putting somebody in charge who they feel like can develop positive you know, films and television from Fox Searchlight. So we'll have to keep an eye on this one, though, because I feel like if it underperforms – Maybe maybe we do see the end of Fox Searchlight. Yeah. You know, they I mean they eliminated so many Fox employees. So yeah. I don't know. This I did- feel like honestly, all of the Fox properties, like production companies, all of that, they're all on the chopping block. Right. So they need to do as best as they can, or it will be no longer. Exactly. Agreed. Agreed. And speaking of. Fox, <laughs> they've given a script commitment to G-Men, another multi-camera comedy from uh, Happy Together creator Austin Earl and writer Luke Cunningham. Mm. Um, now, Happy Together was a big hit, so it, it makes no surprise that, that they want to go back to the creator in the well again. Um, now, this sounds interesting. G-Men is actually about two brothers who have a strained relationship. Uh, both claim to be government agents. 
However, one of them actually works as a part-time mailman, and one of them <laughs> is actually an FBI agent. That's hilarious. So my thing is, is is the mailman telling the truth? Right. Is he like a spy? But like he he even his FBI brother doesn't know he's yeah. a spy. Like because that would be funny as shit. Right. Like no, you're a mailman. No, but I am a spy. Yeah, you know. Spy. So and if that's the running joke throughout, like you don't know is he telling the truth or not? Like like that would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It seems like everybody's trying to jump on these comedies. Yeah. You know. I, and. I feel like it's it's not a bad move because remember when comedies used to dominate yeah. TGIF like on ABC mm-hmm. like when it was just a whole block of comedies all night long and I feel like with the exception of a couple animated films like Simpsons and I mean uh, animated uh, series like Simpsons and stuff it has been lacking yeah. lately you know finding a good comedy has yeah. been tough lately so yeah I mean I I hope these hit because people need a good laugh yeah because I mean what you got mom right now and I mean. Big Bang Theory just went off the air, and I mean, yeah, there's not a lot. It's only a handful. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe and, they do need more. You know, and uh, they've, they're trying to bring a lot back. Yeah. Punky Brewster and, like, Mad About You, and I, I'm excited. We actually talk about that a little bit because there was some really cool news about Mad About You. But, you know, so I think it's a good blend so far, at least what we're seeing, about trying to put some originals out there, trying to bring back some that were pretty good hits. Mm-hmm. And they've had their hit or misses with the, the ones they brought back. Yeah. Some have worked, some haven't. So we'll see, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, switching it over to Netflix, mm-hmm. the other streaming juggernaut at the moment at least. Uh, but they're not all too worried about it. CEO Reed Hastings said he's not worried about the immediate launch of Disney+. Plus, But now he did indicate that Disney's... Disney Plus's streaming service will probably be their biggest competitor. He did. He did. And the one that they can learn the most from. I thought that line was very interesting. He's like, yeah, we can learn a lot from them as well. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. You know, if – the best way, right? Like keep keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And I feel like that's Reed's approach on Disney yeah. Plus. He's like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep them close. We're yeah. gonna see everything that. And he even went on to say that he is going to have a Disney Plus subscription. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, he all he came out and said it. So, um, it makes sense. Yeah, he, his exact line: he plans to subscribe to Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, and then here's the thing, though. He keeps reiterating this, and I just. While it's true, I don't think that it – I think it's a way to deflect the fact that they are a little bit worried about the inundation of all these streaming services right. coming. He he wanted to once again say that Netflix has always been facing competition mm-hmm. for, uh, against streamers for more than a decade and he once again cited Hulu, YouTube, and Amazon. Right. True, but I mean that's not to the level that HBO Max and Disney Plus are going to be bringing to the table. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you combine all the subscribers for all three of those, it's not what right. HBO Max and Disney Plus are going to be bringing to the yeah, table. I agree. So, and he better like Hulu. Keep in mind, guys, that that's Disney. Exactly. So you know that that's a that's a double whammy, a right and a left hook coming. Yeah. So. Yeah, because, I mean, with it now falling completely under the Disney umbrella, right? like, you can just all but assure that Hulu is going to have an uptick in subscribers oh. just because there's going to be so much more Marvel stuff coming on, like the adult animated Howard the Duck. Absolutely. And so much more. So. Absolutely. And you see, that's why you got to listen to our show because I know a lot of people out there right now that don't listen to the show are saying, no, no, but Hulu's not fully Disney – Yes, they are because they worked out that deal with Comcast that come whatever year. I'd have to go back and look at the year. But 
they they have already sealed that deal exactly. that they will take over Hulu completely yeah. by that point and that Disney will pay a certain amount of money for it. Exactly. It's a done deal, guys. It is all Disney. Exactly. So um, <laughs> that's just knowledge of JLo dropping. It's like how we keep up on top of things. And, yeah, that's going to increase the subscribers. Like you said, it's going to be crazy. Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. Also, this one's interesting because you got the Irishman coming out. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to be searching. I'm looking all over to see if it's anywhere near us right now, either in L.A. or or Charlotte or wherever we happen to be. Exactly. I'm trying to see if we can find a little limited thing. With the Irishman, Hastings wanted to also say, and he directly addressed this, that they don't have any plans to make any dramatic changes to their theatrical release model. Yeah. Um, and they're not inclined to buy up a bunch of theaters like everybody thinks that they want to do. Because, yeah. you know, they recently bought a couple chains, you yeah. know. The, the, but he said, no, we're not we're not doing anything. Yeah. And he even went on to say, look, if the theaters want to show a Netflix movie after it's already been on Netflix because people want to get that experience, we're fine with that. Yeah. So he's just not fine with the you. If you're gonna show it in a theater, it has to wait so long before it can be on Netflix. Right. He's like, "Fuck you! We're putting it on Netflix first, and <laughs> then if you want to watch it in a theater, that's great." Exactly. And he admitted he's a theater fan. He said, yeah. "Look, I like to go see movies in theaters. I like the big experience and the crowd and everything. So if that's your thing, we're fine with that." Yeah. But this is how we're sticking to our release. I mean, and I respect that. Yeah. I mean, he's causing a lot of. But, I mean, I respect that. I agree. I agree. And now this next one, honestly, by no surprise, they're teaming back up. Sandra Bullock is re-teaming with Netflix. We all know how popular Bird Box was. That was definitely a conversation starter. Everybody was talking about it on Twitter. Everybody was talking about it in the grocery stores, just everywhere. But anyway, Sandra Bullock is re-teaming with Netflix to set and star an untitled drama about her life after prison. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, Nora Finchai yeah. will direct the film that's based on a script by Mission Impossible uh, director Christopher McQuarrie. Um, and yeah, like you said, Bullock's going to play Ruth Slater, a woman released from prison after serving a sentence for a violent crime and re-enter. Wow, you see a theme going? Right. A woman released from prison re-entering society. Exactly. Uh, facing severe judgment from the place she once called home. And then she's trying to find redemption. So th- there you go. We got a drama coming from Sandra Bullock and Netflix and a comedy from ABC about the same type thing basically exactly. women re-entering society after coming out of prison yeah i mean it seems like a win-win because there's always been this thing about how felons can't vote and right. basically when people get out of jail they can't find jobs so why not make it diverse and put that role as a woman so that you win both ways like there's more than one way to win yeah exactly i mean i'm curious for both of these yeah i'll definitely watch both and see you know kind of how it plays out and Ah, this next one. We mm. This one is uh, everybody. We keep talking about this. Bill Abbott is smiling bigger and bigger and bigger every day. Every day. Everybody is trying to jump on the holiday bandwagon. Amazon Prime, now they're in on it. Yeah. They're making their first jump into the holiday special game. They're teaming up with Grammy-winning songwriter Casey Musgraves. This is interesting. Yeah. For a holiday variety special, and it's going to stream the day after Thanksgiving. Mm. Smart, because yeah. that's like really when Christmas kicks off. Yeah. We all know. Santa comes in on the parade. You know, boom, it's done. It's Christmas. Exactly. This, this is great. Fred Armisen, Leon Bridges, Camila Cabello, James Corden, Lana Del Rey, Zoe Deschanel, like a shit ton of people, the Radio City Rockets. Because can you have Christmas without the Rockets? Right, I don't I think know, so. Right? <laughs> I don't think you can. They're all going to be on the show. It's going to feature classic and original holiday songs and even some from Casey's holiday record that she made a few years back. Yeah. So, um, 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, right? you know, we, it seems like for the last, what, three shows, four shows, we've been talking about people jumping on the, the holiday bandwagon yep. with specials. So everybody can thank Hallmark. <laughs> I mean, that that's just the truth of it, man. It's so freaking funny, honestly. But, I mean, we went into Starbucks today. and It's already it, Christmas. It's already Christmas. It's... Christmas music, Christmas merchandise. It's insane. Yep, yep. I mean, what, but I mean, it makes sense, man. It's mm-hmm. it's a huge. Everybody wants to feel good. It's so fucked up right now in society. We got mm-hmm. so much crazy shit going on. Everybody just wants to feel good, exactly. and Christmas makes people feel good. I agree. So, I mean, it's a smart thing. It's a really smart thing. But that's not the only thing they're focused on. No. That is not it. They also nabbed the exclusive streaming rights to two, not one, but two seasons mm. of Critical Role: The Legend of Vox Machina. Um, that actually, the, the, the reason this is like pretty badass story is this, this project actually originated on Kickstarter mm. and it set the record for the most funded TV or film project ever. Wow. Like they raised a shit ton of money. So Amazon jumped all over it, mm-hmm. ordered, uh, an additional 14 episodes off now because they had already signed a deal for the first 12. Yeah. So for 24 total episodes across two seasons and, they inked a first look deal with the people with from Critical Role to develop a new series exclusively for Amazon Prime. So That's smart. I mean, they see if something's trending and it's being talked about word of mouth especially, then you need to jump on it. If it's original content, hell yeah, you need to jump on it. Yeah, and I think that they got this one at a pretty decent price. Yeah. Um, when you can raise that much money on a, on a crowdfunding, yeah. you know, that, that says to these studios, people are interested. Exactly. You know, so yeah, I feel like it's a smart move. you got to jump on things yeah. that you can see that the fans want. Yeah. So Amazon definitely just made like a – netflix-esque move because that's how i feel about it agreed i I totally agree with you i totally agree with oh okay warner media guys yeah we've got some big casting stuff with warner media okay Mm -hmm. um mm. let's start off with the uh old harry potter though yeah uh harry potter universe if you will warner brothers has greenlit a third fantastic beast movie Mm -hmm. Uh, and for anybody who doesn't know that's actually a prequel spinoff from harry potter um it's gonna start in 2020, the spring of 2020, uh, it, this is interesting. It's gonna. Uh, this one's gonna be set in. I want to say Rio de Janeiro. Mm. Yeah, mm. in in Brazil. You know, every every movie so far in the first two Fantastic Pieces yeah. has been set in a different location: yeah. New York City and Paris. And so now this one in Brazil. Um, very interesting. Eddie uh, and Jude Law and Albus Dumble, uh, I mean Johnny Depp, all supposed to Ezra Miller, all coming back. They're all going to uh, reprise all their roles. So this is interesting. I mean, yeah. uh, a lot of people thought for a little bit Harry Potter kind of ran its course. Yeah. But it was a smart move to take the prequel series yeah. and kind of turn it into its own thing. And all of Johnny Depp's kind of off-screen drama hasn't hurt anything. Yeah. Um, and so they're rolling along. Third film. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised, too. It might help revamp his career. It might. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty successful, This the second film yeah. uh, in this franchise. So, And plus, this is just more canon content for HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's say, I feel like all these studios are now... That's that's the goal. Yeah, we got to keep pumping stuff out so that we have eventual content for our streaming. Exactly. And I mean, this this is a good one because I'm sure all the Harry Potter stuff is going to show up on HBO Max. Oh yeah, so sure. interesting. Probably all one. of the films you can only imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be shocked if not. Hell all right, yeah. this oh, next one. Goodness gracious, we got a few casting announcements. Mm. Um, 
some kind of confusing, uh, if you could say that. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about it at and all. And then some kind of like, how the hell do you have the time? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Andy Serkis has been cast to play Alfred Pennyworth, you know, old Alfred the butler there. That's right. Um, For Batman. To play, yeah, Alfred. That's really weird since he's going to be directing the next Venom. Right. Like, I mean, it, it, what are we saying about Alfred's role? Will right. this be like, you know, tiny and, and not very time consuming? Yeah. Or will he be distracted from his directing responsibility? Because from what I understand, isn't it, Venom 2 is already in yeah. pre production, right? Yeah. Uh, so... I mean, which is scary because if Venom 2 is going to have Spider-Man in it. so Yeah, I mean, that's the rumor that at least towards the end we're going to see Spidey pop up because yeah. the third one is definitely a Spidey Venom film. Yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, you, you've got Carnage in this and there's mm -hmm. a lot of CGI and that's, I'm I feel worried. like the whole reason that they were bringing Circus in is because he's the motion capture guy yeah. at this point. So if he's going to be distracted, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a great actor. Yeah. And I actually think he'll make a really good Alfred. This yeah. is an interesting casting choice. But does he have the time exactly. and will it hurt either project that's exactly. that's the only thing i was concerned yeah. about about that announcement that's the big question but right this, ugh, this net don't even see it don't even see why why they would do this no colin farrell has been cast or in talks as the penguin yeah yeah what? um what colin farrell what like now for anybody who doesn't know if you're not a comic book geek like me there is a version of penguin where he's skinny yeah and he's like not you know the 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 one that you're used to the yeah. fat wah, 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 you know kind of penguin there there is like a more reserved businessman gangster yeah. kind of a i don't care if that's the version they're going with i still don't care i'm not a huge fan of colin farrell yeah. one Two, he doesn't belong in the superhero world. Yeah. Remember Bullseye Guy from yeah. Daredevil? Ben Affleck can't catch a break for that film. No. But to be fair, Michael Clark Duncan sucked as Kingpin, yeah. and Colin yeah. Farrell sure sucked ass as Bullseye. Exactly. I'm sorry, and I love Jen. Not a good Electra. Yeah. I just that whole thing was a disaster. And Colin Farrell should. I just feel like it's going to be the same type thing. I trust Matt Reeves. Yeah. I think so far the casting in this film has been very interesting, but I don't see how you make a brilliant move like Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman and yeah. Paul Dano as Riddler, and then follow that up with a subpar. Sure, Colin Farrell as uh, you know <laughs> yeah. a Penguin. Like, no. What did you got? Did somebody owe this guy or something? Uh, yeah, like... I, I don't. Or is this like really the bottom of the? Because remember, there were so many other people that they initially were trying to get, right. and I feel like this is just like bottom feeding. Yeah, like, uh, I okay, I guess we'll do Colin Farrell. Yeah. What? I know. No, just come on, man. Yeah. Go back. I I would so rather Josh Gad. Yeah. I would so rather Josh Gad. I mean, I just mm, I don't know. It Dumbo. Anybody see Colin Farrell and Dumbo? It was weird. Like, it just. And for work. me, just Colin Farrell's just got this thing that, like, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And just most of the time, just my opinion, <laughs> it doesn't. So oh, I don't know. Is. But, I mean, it, the rest of the cast is great. Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon. I yeah. just thought all the other casting was, like, pretty damn interesting. And then he blew it with Colin Farrell. I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. And, I mean, even the dude that would fuck a steak. I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Bruce Wayne wants a goddamn steak, and yeah. if he gets one, he's going to fuck it. Like, Don't know what we're talking about? Go see uh, Robert Lighthouse. Pattinson in Lighthouse. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. I would, I would recommend going into that film dead narrow sober or non-high and have your thinking cap on because yeah, that is one twisted – 
out there, fucked up, crazy film. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We couldn't even t- we couldn't even describe it. No. Like, and, no and we, idea. you know us, we talk. We have <laughs> thoughts on everything. We couldn't even describe it. I know. Like, it's crazy. It's it, oof. Yeah. <laughs> it's I don't good. even know what to say now about no, it. No. Like, it's no. It's been a few days and still don't know what to say. Nope. Uh, but anyway, Greenleaf star <laughs> Merle Dandridge is gonna set to join uh, Kelly Coco. Uh, as a series regular in HBO Max's thriller drama series, The Flight Attendant. Yes, and of course, this is the one being executive produced by Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Bang Theory, for anybody who doesn't recognize the name, Penny yeah. Penny from Big Bang Theory, Kaylee Cuoco. She's got like this huge new like home. Obviously, Big Bang was a huge success yeah. for Warner Brothers, and so she signed an exclusive deal with Warner Brothers. So she's coming out, for anybody who doesn't know, she's Harley Quinn in the new animated series coming yeah. out. Then she signed for this live-action drama. Kaylee's kicking it at Warner Brothers. Yeah, she really is. But Greenleaf's a huge hit. So Merle Dandridge coming on, that that's going to be good. Um, She's going to be playing Kim. The lead FBI agent who ends up revisiting some of her own mistakes while she's investigating Cassie. Now, for all y'all that don't remember, and you should listen to our show because you would know what this is all about. (laughs) uh, Kaylee Cuoco's character Cassie is a flight attendant who wakes up in a strange city with a dead guy in her bed and has no idea how all that happened. Mm -hmm. So that's what the strange events that the FBI agent is Mm going to be investigating. Um, So there you go. Uh, this one sounds interesting. I, I'm excited for, for that show. Mm-hmm. I think anything Kaylee does is is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, sticking with the comedy trend, because it's all about that right now, apparently. Everybody's striving and, like, really inching to get that. Yes. Their own comedy. Uh, the CW has put in development a friend's comedy from Hannah Marks, Ben Stiller's Red Hour. Yes, Corrine Burkoff and CBS Television Studios. That's a lot of people. So you got Ben Stiller's production company, Corrine Burkoff's uh, mm-hmm. production company, CBS Television Studios, and Hannah Marks. Yeah. Seems like you need a lot of people to get shit done nowadays exactly. on like a project, you know? Yeah, I mean, we should say that Corrine uh, Burkoff has a deal under CBS Studios. So yeah. I mean, I guess that's why that makes sense. But yeah. um, th- oh, this premise, it's going to be written by Hannah Marks, and mm-hmm. it's uh, this is how they describe it, which is really cool. Five minutes in the future, comedic drama about four female friends navigating their way through their 20s. Mm. Yeah, a classic coming-of-age theme, but it's set apparently like five minutes in the future. Yeah. Like through the whole show. So that's an interesting premise. Yeah. I mean – you know, a bunch of friends trying to navigate their way through their 20s is funny enough. Yeah, exactly. But then if you're going to set it like in the future and, and – I mean how does that work? Do we keep flashing back know, to what, what happened thinking. prior like, to? to? I mean, the format of the show is going to be interesting. Yeah, that's, that's mm, very, 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 very interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this next one. The king yep. of television at the moment, Greg Berlanti. That's he's, right. he's got a show everywhere on everything ever, um, but he ain't done. Yep. <laughs> he is currently in the process of rebooting Kung Fu. Yes, that Kung Fu, right. Bruce Lee and David Carradine. And, but I say Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was supposed to be the star of that show, mm. and then it went to David Carradine, and mm. that caused a lot of rift back in the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, David Carradine, you know the whole story to remove the rock from my hand, grasshopper, blah, mm. blah, blah. Kung Fu. Yeah, um, yeah. Only this time, uh, it's going for the CW. They've yeah. given a pilot order. going to be done by uh, Greg Berlanti. It's going to be a woman. 
No. It focuses on – we've seen this trend yeah, now where exactly. – and we've got some other stories in here about reboots with women. Um, but, yeah, the kung fu is going to now center around a female yeah. protagonist. Um, so, But I trust Berlanti. Yeah. In always. Berlanti, I trust. Uh, <laughs> I feel like everything the man has put on television yeah. has been stellar. Um, so I've only disagreed with him once. We all know what that was, the Superman and uh, Lois casting. Um, but other than that, I think the guy's brilliant. Uh, so – We'll uh, see. We'll see. Man, see. Warner just kicking it. You know, TNT owned mm-hmm. by Warner also. And Ava DuVernay, who's also just slamming it everywhere. Yeah. She's got deals with like all kinds of Netflix, Amazon, now apparently Warner Media, yeah. like with the TNT and everything. Just killing it. Um, Queen Sugar. Mm. She's behind Queen Sugar and her and Kat Candler actually. They're reteaming for a new drama series in development at TNT. Uh, it's untitled at the moment, but it's going to be a drama that follows a struggling young wife and mother who in the aftermath of a deadly oil refinery explosion takes the li- uh, explosion that takes the life of her old friends. She's going to go on to lead one of the biggest labor union strikes in Texas history. Wow. This is loosely based on a on a true story. Yeah. Um, Ava, you know, man, she's all about them true stories yeah. and like getting it, getting it out there and getting the message across. This exactly. one sounds like it could be pretty good. Hell yeah, and especially when she can even more so tell the people exercise your right to vote, speak up, protest, all of that good shit. So, yes, because yes. your voice matters. It does. I mean, it absolutely does. And we can't leave. There's, you know, NBC. Mm-hmm. Can't leave NBC out of it. No. Um, because as we just said with Amazon, who isn't jumping on the holiday bandwagon? Exactly. NBC also. Only this one, I got to tell you, this one sounds really, really fun and cool and mm-hmm. awesome to me. They have slotted their dates. Um, it's going to be December 10th, 11th, and 12th for Ellen DeGeneres' three-night holiday event. Mm. Now, this sounds pretty badass. It, okay, picture Michelle Obama, Jennifer Aniston. J-Lo's already sold Jennifer already. Aniston. Already. <laughs> uh, Justin Timberlake, Robert Downey Jr., Melissa McCarthy, our man, Michael B. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan, uh, Aquaman, Jason Momoa, Sterling K. Brown, just all these people. Ellen has brought them all together, and over like this three-night holiday event series, they're going to deliver gifts to unsuspecting people. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had RDJ knock at my door to hand me a gift, <laughs> I, really I would like shit on myself. I, that yeah. would be the most epic Christmas ever. Yeah. Like so, the idea that all these or Michelle Obama. Come on. Yeah, right. I mean, like, like this is going to be really fun. Ellen is, is like, great at doing these staged, like, unexpected yeah. surprise things. Agreed. I just think this one's going to be really fun. Yeah, I can't wait because, there, I mean, there's so many awesome people that we love seeing on our show come on time and time and again. So this is going to be just epic. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's going with the Christmas train. Exactly. So. And you know, don't even don't even pretend. I, you know you are already hoping Jennifer Aniston shows up at your door. Uh, you, you know. Uh, I know you are. And it's okay. It would it's be okay. great. It would it's be okay. great. Lil' <laughs> Cam might not like it, but you know, J-Lo, that be all right. So funny. Continuing on, CBS slash Firecom. CBS has given a pilot production commitment to the equal yeah, what? I know, what? a reimagining to a classic, a series that will star Queen Latifah, a female-based star, when the original was a man. 
Yeah. I know, right? For anybody who's old enough, like me, yeah. I'm going to say it before J-Lo points it out. You know. I was a fan of the original show, The Equalizer. Um, it was an old British guy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was actually really good. Uh, you guys know it's recently been redone as movie with Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those did really well. But apparently they're not done. No, they want to no. redo it. Again with Queen Latifah. Exactly, exactly. She is going to be playing the same character. Uh, she's going to be in uh, an ex- enigmatic figure who uses her extensive skills to help those who, with nowhere else to run. She's going to be playing a, a former agent, mm-hmm. you know, CIA agent, uh, just like all the other characters were played. Um, this is going to be interesting. I mean, again, a female version of a pretty established character. Mm-hmm. And good for Queen Latifah, I guess. Do you want to follow up Denzel? Right, like, exactly. I mean, that was a really good version. Yeah. Like I said, I was a fan of the original show. So when I heard that they were doing a movie, I was like, eh. but it was actually really good. I enjoyed both those films. So I don't know, man. Yeah, Queen Latifah. I know. Female equalizer. I know. Honestly, I, we haven't really seen her on screen in a while. She hasn't really acted a lot. That's so, true. I mean, yeah, it's been a little bit. So now she and and I mean, normally she does comedy. Yeah, exactly. So this is gonna be interesting. Hell yeah. This is gonna be really yeah. interesting. Well, it's not the only female centric show that was also once a man star. Uh, Zorro is gonna have <laughs> oh, a <reboot>. man star. <laughs> Zorro's got to have a reboot, and it's going to be a female this time, a female Zorro. Yeah, like, uh, here we go again. The reimagining written, it's going to be written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. Mm-hmm. It, here's the crazy, it's set in modern day. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's going to follow a female descendant of the original yeah. Zorro. Um, and she's going to go to great lengths to protect her defenseless community. Yeah. So, sure, because in the modern day, it makes total sense for a female Zora to wield a sword in, like, you know, the barrio in, in East L.A. or something. Yeah, like, you know. Makes total sense, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I'm guessing. I don't know, but I'm just saying. It's, it's hmm. It's so funny. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. This next one, though, I'm ex- super excited about. Because mm-hmm. anybody listens to this show, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan mm-hmm. of Billions. Yeah. I just think we've had Danny Strong on. He's phenomenal. Paul Giamatti. If you guys don't watch this show, you really should be. Yeah. Brian Koppelman is a genius, and it's a brilliant show. And it just got better because the cast is already phenomenal. But now Juliana Margulies from The Good Wife and Corey Stoll from House of Cards – both have signed on to do multi-arcs uh, stories uh, for the upcoming season. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. I mean, they're both awesome yeah. actors. I mean, apparently they were willing to pay Juliana Margulies, which, like, you know, the the, the, the good fight yeah. didn't. Remember that yeah. story? Yeah, no. Anyway, um, Margulies is going to play Catherine Brandt, an yeah. Ivy League sociology professor and best-selling author. Now, I would guess that's going to pit her against Paul Giamatti's mm-hmm. wife in the in the storyline because she's like – the, the coach, you know, the mental coach and, and mm-hmm. sociology person in, in the storyline. So I'm guessing that's going to be that throwdown, yeah. which is going to be amazing. Exactly. And Corey Stoll is going to play – oh, this sounds really interesting too – Michael Prince. And you're going to like this one, J-Lo. Yeah. He's a business titan from a small town in Indiana. That's right. That's right. So uh, I guess he's going to be like an adversary for, you know, everybody moving forward with acts and yeah. like uh, – so good. This show is so good, y'all. If you're not watching it, you – Really, 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 really should. Hell yeah. Hell um. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, yeah. that's the end of that. Yeah, and the next one, they have also ordered a 
comedic trivia game that also deals with physical challenges. This oh, yeah, is this the is James the James Corden, Corden thing. Yeah. yeah, this is going to be on CBS. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember, uh, Corden's been hosting the original one in England for, yeah. like, but he is not going to be hosting this one. Yeah. Keegan-Michael Key is going to be hosting this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to be really funny, I think. And here's the here, – Venus Williams and Rob Gronkowski are going to be the team captains. Yeah. So you're going to be whoever, if you're a contestant on the show, you're going to be teaming up with one of those, yeah. which would be funny as shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Rob Gronkowski is funny. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think a lot of people know, but Venus pretty damn funny herself. Yeah, exactly. Um, but both extremely competitive. Yeah. So there you go. Well, and I mean – just put that out there. I guess everything's fine with that uh, that car she hit and accidentally uh, killed Right, <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, like no, uh, that was in the news. That's true. <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, I guess she's good. Yeah, I guess she's good. I guess she's all good. And to make it even better. Bobby Lee and Late Late Show writer Ian Caramel are going to be regular panelists. Oh, so there's nice. going to be comedy thrown in there consistently. Yeah. I th- I mean, I'm a good sports trivia guy. I yeah. like some good sports trivia. And the fact that you're going to throw in some, like, physical tests to it, mm-hmm. that's going to be pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this next one, <laughs> oh boy, super excited about. I don't know how many people have Spectrum. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, they did the Bad Boys uh, spinoff of there yeah. with uh, Jessica Elba and Gabrielle Union. Mm-hmm. It's doing really well. Well, Mad About You, which was on NBC originally, huge hit back in the day with Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser, yeah. guys. It won all kinds of Emmys. I mean, it was a, it was a huge hit. Um, it's it's coming back. Yeah. They're going to do another re- revisit um, like they've done with Will and Grace and a bunch of other shows. But this was some exciting news. If you guys don't remember, um, Helen Hunt's character had a pretty famous mom, you know, who played her mom on the show, Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. She It's been announced that she is going to reprise her role as Teresa Stemple, Jamie's mom on yeah. the show. It's going to be so fun. It's coming back. It's going to be set 20 years after the original series ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to follow the the Buckmans again, which I just again this Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser were brilliant on yeah. the show. Paul Reiser, a little indie filmmaker guy. Yeah. I just love the whole premise of the show. Anyway, they're they're trying to deal with now being empty nesters ah. after dropping off their daughter to college. Yeah. So uh, and a lot of the originals are coming back. John Panko, Richard Kind, um, they're coming back. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. They haven't revealed what Carol's uh, Carol Burnett's uh, storyline is going to be. Just that she's returning as the mom. So we don't know why yeah. she's returning or what. But I'm super excited about that one. I think it's going to be really awesome. Agreed. Agreed. Well, super excited. Oh my mm. goodness, this next one, ATX. Television Festival, it's the ninth annual television festival. They will reunite the cast and creators of the family beloved drama, Parenthood. Yes. So excited. Yes, it's going to be next year, June 4th through the 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas, just like it always is. And yeah, I'm super stoked for this because, guys, remember the last big kind of uber awesome reunion that they did, Gilmore Girls, Mm -hmm. when they brought everybody back together except – Edward Herman, who had passed, unfortunately, before it could happen. Yeah. But, guys, this is what really kind of really spawned the comeback and yeah. the return of Gilmore Girls exactly. on Netflix because they saw the overwhelmingly huge fan response yeah. after they were all reunited. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we get the same thing from Parenthood. Yeah, I agree. Jason Katniss has said he'd be totally willing to do it. So mm-hmm. is the entire cast. They just wanted a long enough gap in between Makes it going sense. off the air yeah. so that people would appreciate when it comes right. back. Um, I think it's been long enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they have confirmed that Katniss, of course, will be there. Um, 
Peter Krause, Lauren Graham, because why wouldn't they be there together? Seriously. Uh, they're together now. Um, <laughs> uh, Monica Potter, Erica Christian, Mae Whitman, and Craig T. Nelson mm-hmm. all confirmed to be there. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to start hearing announcements over the next few months of, of other cast right. members that are going to be there. Jason Ritter, we're hoping. 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 I mean, uh, he's phenomenal. I just loved that storyline. Yeah, I was kind of agreed. rooting for him so I was much. Too. <laughs> and then it didn't happen. And I'm like, no, I love Ray damn Romano, it. but no, I Jason Ritter, damn it. Um, and then you, I, I got to say, I would be absolutely shocked if the ATX folks aren't working hard behind the scenes to bring Michael Bate. You know, know, for anybody who doesn't know, if you didn't watch this show and why the fuck didn't you, because it was brilliant, Michael B. Jordan was on it. Yeah, nice little little very controversial storyline. It was dealt with racism and and lesbianism and all kinds of stuff going on in that storyline. Alcoholism and uh, drug abuse. Yeah, intense storyline. I got to imagine they're trying to get him. That'd be epic. Even if he just does one of those video like yeah. presentations, like he can't be there, but he just like exactly. is there by video. Exactly. That'd be awesome. Michael B, come on, bro, come hey, on, do it. No, you want to? <laughs> oh goodness! Now this next one, I don't know if anybody really wants this. Diminishing Films, they are mm. reportedly saying that a new Scream film is reportedly in development. <sighs> there are no additional details about whether the film will be a continuation of the feature film or just completely new envisioning reboot but fans have wondered what would even happen to the franchise following craven's passing back in 2015 yeah i mean do you do it without Wes craven yeah. i think not yeah. I, I, and if you try to reboot it it's going to be a huge mistake yeah, exactly. and if you try to continue it without Wes craven i feel like it's going to be a huge mistake yeah. so i just and, and to be fair nev campbell you know the star of all of them mm-hmm. i read she doesn't feel like it would be okay without Wes yeah. Craven. So, uh, guys, if you don't have your star, you don't want to do it without Wes Craven, I think you should just let that one rest. Yeah, I agree. I agree, man. Speaking uh, of let it rest. Let it fucking rest. Legendary. crazy. This one drives me insane. And, and this is the danger with technology, bro. Yeah. If you guys haven't heard this crazy, insane story, James Dean. Yes, mm-hmm. that James Dean. Legendary James Dean, who died in 1955, is getting ready to star in a new movie. Yeah, what? You didn't hear me wrong. James Dean, who died in 1955, is getting ready to star in a new movie. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> he has been cast in the Vietnam-era drama Finding Jack. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently his family has signed off on it yeah. and they are going to go full out uh, – apparently two companies, South African via a visual effects company, MOI, mm-hmm. Worldwide, and um, Imagine Engine. Yeah. These are the two companies that are going to do it. They are going to digitally recreate James Dean right. from, from head to toe. Yeah. He's going to be voiced by someone else, obviously. But uh, they're going to digitally recreate him and put put him in this movie. It's not even a small role either. He's the secondary character. Yeah, he's the yeah he's the second lead in the in the film. Like it's a and okay, they claim they did an extensive casting search for this character and just couldn't find anybody better than James Dean. What? (laughs) What? And and if this yeah, this should scare you right here because this is the description. They're going to create a realistic version of – no, no. When you have to Stop convince it. people it's a realistic version, probably not good. Right. Look, 
I love the de-aging and aging up technology. They've done some amazing things. And I get it in the case of like what happened with Paul Walker, you know, or even Leia, you know, with Carrie Fisher. I get that. But to completely just recreate. Over 50 mm, years. Over 50 years. No, no. It's it's, been dead for over 50 years. The technology is scary, guys. I think Chris Evans said it better. He tweeted, and I loved his tweet. He said, you know, first he joked that I'm sure James Dean is great with this. Not with yeah. a, he had like a little disc, and then he said, "Why don't we just have the computers paint a new Picasso, right. or exactly. or do uh, write a couple of new John Lennon songs?" And I mean, th- he's right. Th- this is insane. The fact that these guys, th- I'm all for art. I'm all for being creative and original. But this is just wrong. Yeah, yeah. I just it's I like mean, putting these singers like Whitney Houston, all that, going on tour with these holograms yeah. or whatever. Yeah. This is wrong. I agree. It's wrong. Fucking crazy, man. <laughs> now, this next one, Ben Affleck has been signed on to star in hypo, hypotonic. Right? <laughs> or hypnotic. Or hypnotic. Hypnotic. You were just hypnotized, bro. It's, it's exactly. okay. Ben Affleck has it. that effect. It's, yeah, it's like... exactly. Exactly. A new action thriller <laughs> from Sin City director Robert Rodriguez. Yes. He's going to be playing a detective. So he couldn't move forward in the Batman role as detective, which we all know the new Batman film focuses on his detective career. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. Anyway, he's going to be playing a detective investigating a series of impossible high-end heists. Yeah. Um, and then he's going to come across uh, his missing daughter, who yeah. apparently this whole case leads to. Um Interesting. Huge fan of Robert Rodriguez. I think he's just a really original, creative, brilliant filmmaker. Uh, I feel like he's taking a chance on Affleck right here. Yeah. We mean, know. We saw him on Halloween. Yeah. He, he's kind of fallen off the wagon. And, and I mean, um, I don't know. Uh, Triple Frontier, all I enjoyed, but didn't do really well yeah. on Netflix. I mean, Affleck's been struggling a little bit. Um, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Good luck. I hope it works out because I think he needs a win. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean another one. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia's Seven Bucks Productions has partnered with 101 Studio to produce Unstoppable, a true life story of sports hero Anthony Robles. Uh, the pick follows Robles, uh, who despite being born with only one leg in a single parent family on the wrong side of the tracks, overcame every obstacle to become an undefeated uh wrestling star three-time all-american 2011 ncaa national champion and two-time sb award winner damn yeah and in the wrestling hall of fame i mean i love the rock because he you know he's a very inspirational story himself Mm -hmm. and he really does tend to lead to these projects that inspire people exactly like i mean come on you're talking about a one-legged guy who was dead ass poor on the bad side of town that could have been all kinds of wrong but ended up doing what he did and i I just really really respect and admire the rock for pursuing these type of inspiring feel-good stories because i think we need more of those and who better to do it than the rock who's who's like a badass inspirational guy himself so and by the way if anybody needs to know how to get along with your ex-wife and and kick ass the Rock does it because right. him and Danny Garcia are like partners and it used to be his ex-wife, but she's still his manager and production partner. These guys are whooping ass. Yeah, I'm just like, like, if there is a way to do it right, The Rock knows how to do it. Maybe you should pay attention because that's some good shit. So freaking funny. <laughs> well, now you know how it's all about the streaming wars. The NBA, they have officially started up their own streaming service. Oh, my goodness. NBA TV for $6.99 per month or 
$59.99 for an annual subscription. That's freaking awesome. It I is. I mean, why doesn't the NFL or any other sport I, You know, that? the NFL's got that deal with Twitter, but yeah, I would like to see them expand and do something like this. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely. Uh, oh, man, this next one is just going to help a whole pe- bunch of people out, especially women, women creatives. Um, Margot Roby and Lucky Chop Entertainment and Christina Hobson, uh, Hudson um, Exports are partnering up with Lucky Exports Pitch Program to help female writers develop original feature films. Yeah, this is going to be really cool. I mean, they, they worked together in the past on some stuff, and so they're, they're teaming up with their production companies. And, and, I mean, okay, apparently they've already picked all the writers that are going to be involved in at least this first effort out. I feel like this is going to be an annual thing. But yeah. the writers, they're going to be in this four-week program that's going to allow them to outline, break down, and develop their ideas into studio-ready pitches. Mm-hmm. And then they have to demonstrate their ability to write the action film while gaining some exposure along the way so i feel like they're going to be able to present those pitches which is huge because as we've talked about time and time again and ted sarandos i think said it brilliantly the pitch is like the hardest thing to do in this industry to get into a room and get your project made and they don't teach you that and i got to imagine it's even harder for women and so for this type of an opportunity, I think it's going to be brilliant, bro. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's going to be great. And man, speaking of brilliant female writers, oh my goodness, showrunner Carol Barbie is coming on the show today to talk about her Netflix hit series, Raising Dion, which is just honestly epic. No, oh my no God, lie. dude. She, she, we're huge fans. I, I, I binge watched it the first night. Yeah. I mean, it took me about, you know, because I started late in the night. So overnight and into the morning, but knocked it all out in one thing. You and Lil Cam started watching it. I watched it again because, yeah. I mean, it's so damn good. I keep going back to it. The cast was phenomenal. The mm-hmm. chemistry was phenomenal. The story was great. And that's all a credit to Carol, I feel like. And yeah. we're going to talk to her all about that. But she's done all kinds of stuff, man. She's been the showrunner for like a ton of stuff bro i mean big stuff unreal dig falling skies hawaii 5 like just so many things I, yeah. I there's gonna be so much to talk to her about i know i'm so excited i'm so excited well here she is carol barbie welcome inside the crazy ant farm thank you i'm so happy to be here Oh, us too. Us too. So much to talk to you about. Oh my goodness. Talk about an inspiring story. We have a little bit of connection as well because we see that you came from Concord, North Carolina. And we are frequent frequent visitors of Cornelius and Davidson in that area. So cannot wait to talk to you about that. Uh, I have family there, uh, and and so they, they've been living there for quite a while, and so we travel back and forth a lot. Uh, big fans of the area, Lo- love Charlotte and the whole surrounding area, so very cool. Um, and yeah. yeah, and first, before we get started, we just want to say huge congratulations, and we'll be talking about this throughout the interview, but huge congratulations on Raising Dion. Yes. Um, just an absolutely epic show. We're huge fans, um, so we could not be more happy for the huge success for that. Thank you so much. You know, I, it's so good to hear that because, you know, I've lived with it for so long and we had a, an audience of just a little handful of people with it for so long. And now it's like, 
wow, other people are seeing it, so thank you. It's oh, really good to hear that. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to talk all about that. But what we like to do is we have a lot of listeners um, uh, and fans of the show who are trying to break into the industry. And so we're thrilled to have people like yourself come on and join us because you've been doing it for such a long time. And, and, and we like to just ask, how did you get started in it? Was it something you always kind of wanted to do? And then just kind of go into, you know, some stuff and advice about how to how to do what you do uh, in the industry. So how did you get started? Was writing something you always envisioned yourself doing? Or we know you did some acting as well, right? Yeah, when I was a when I was a kid in Concord, I used to tell people I was going to be a writer. But I think I meant a novelist because I didn't really know that television or movie writers existed you know i didn't know what that was but um i always kind of meant to be a writer but i i honestly had a pretty quiet normal life and i thought i gotta do something interesting before i have something to write about so um i was always involved in theater i'm a singer i was always singing in my church and then i would sing on the way up you know doing musicals and stuff and so um i ended up being a theater major at wake forest which is where i went to undergrad and then i got into the MFA acting program at UCLA and I came out to to UCLA just to go to you know do the two-year acting program I got my acting MFA and I worked for I don't know eight years maybe as an actress a lot of theater a lot of you know some sitcoms but mostly other than theater mostly doing one-hour dramas right it's sort of the form I knew the best and so I got an idea at one point for what I thought was going to be a play, but it ended up, it was about, a, it was about photographers. And so I thought, Oh no, I think this should probably be a screenplay, but I don't know how to write a screenplay. So <laughs> I started taking, um, I took a class at UCLA extension night school just, just to write that screenplay. And I ended up taking three classes in a row to write it and finish it. And when I finished it, um, it won an award that UCLA did with DreamWorks at the time called the Diane Thomas award. And, um, and when that happened, I, you know, I had meetings with agents and um, people were asking me what I wanted to do. And what I really wanted to do, I realized when I was doing that feature film, it just took so long and it was not exactly my pace. I'm really proud of the screenplay, but I, I thought, no, I, I want to do one hour dramas. That's about the right pace for me. I'm pretty mm-hmm. You know, I like uh, more um, immediate gratification. So, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I, uh, I, I wrote a couple of television specs and then uh, got an agent through that award and then went on a couple of meetings and one of them was for a show that had not yet aired. It was a brand new show, but they were looking for a couple of female writers to join the staff. And it was Providence, the show that mm, uh, was yeah, on yeah. NBC. And it, it, it's before it premiered. And so they hired me to do a freelance episode before they premiered and then once we my show my my script went really well and when we premiered they were a big hit and it ran for five years and so I was really lucky that the first job I got lasted for five years because it's hard to get the first one but it's really hard to get the first one several times in a row if the show doesn't last you know Mm -hmm. so so that's what I did and then by the time I left um Providence when we were finally canceled um then I went to Judging Amy and right after I I mean the year I was there um three showrunners got fired right in front of me and ultimately I ended up being the showrunner last man standing and and I became a showrunner for them so that really helped things but in terms of like how to get into the business I think that um you have to write and write write specs I, I 
nowadays people don't really want to read uh, spec pilots of other people or spec episodes of other people's shows. They really want to read original right. content. Right. And um, I've always felt that way. I, I uh, even when I first started show running, I would just say, "Look, I'll take anything—a short story, I'll take a an essay, I'll take a you know a, a screenplay, I'll read maybe the first whatever." 10, 20, 30 pages of it, but I, I just want to hear you talk. I want to hear, see how you, um, how you structure a scene and how you, uh, how your characters talk. So I think that's a big thing is just to have material that reflects you. I think some people make the mistake and I've made this mistake in the past of thinking, well, I need to be I need to be on the coolest show possible, and so even if it's not a show that I actually watch or like or would ever really want to write, <laughs> I better write that one. Right, <laughs> because, right. You know, I want to be cool, and um, <laughs> and I think that's a mistake because I think ultimately uh, you will have a wheelhouse, and you can do many, many things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I've written in a lot of different genres, but there's sort of a core at the that that will tell you that it's mine. I think mm-hmm. right. Because of the way the story unfolds and how the characters are. Wow, that that I, I love that entire sequence. Yeah. I, I just I and I really like how you did how you opened it up. You're like, well, before I can write, I've actually got to do something like interesting. Right. You know, right. <laughs> like how am I supposed to write? write? Yeah, exactly. What am I going to write about? I, we we hear that though. That's a theme for from a lot of the guests and, and our own personal belief also that you just have to get out there and live life exactly. and take chances and take yes. risks. And that that's what what it's all about, especially in this industry. I mean, if you don't do that, you, you why are you even doing it? Um, so, yeah, that's a brilliant story, and yeah. I just love how you – I want to talk a little bit, too, about the differences because you said you knew right away that the, the, the timing and the scope of it, you wanted to do television over uh, film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, because they are dramatically different when you're writing, right? I mean, writing a teleplay as opposed to a screenplay is, is a lot different, right? It is. I mean, at the time, it was the form I knew the best because I had just read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of one-hour dramas because mm-hmm. of auditioning for them and doing them. Right. And so it was really a form that it just made sense to me. I liked it. And also, for my entertainment, I, I, I kind of like an hour is good for me. Like, mm-hmm. uh, that's good. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to sit there for four hours. Um, so, but, I, but also at the time, uh, well, even now... Television is a collaborative medium, and mm-hmm. I'm a really social person. And I'll sit down and do my work. I will. I will. That's not a problem. Deadlines are. I, I will get the work done. I want to get an A, but um, <laughs> uh, but I like being around other people. And in television, you have a writers' room. Most rooms have. I mean, most shows have a writers' room. Not all, but uh, you normally have a writers' room. And I'm not a big believer in having that room going all the time. I like to say, okay, we're going to break story these days mm-hmm. from these these hours, I feel like five hours in a writer's room and everybody's brain dead. You, you really need to optimize your time in there. But, um, but you're never alone. Even if you're back in your office or at home writing your script, you always have access to several other people who are invested in telling the same story you are. And you really get each other out of you know, blocks or ruts or whatever. And you don't have the luxury of writer's block because mm-hmm. you are on deadline. Right. And it's actually great. We, you just, you, if you need some help, you go down the hall, uh, or you call your showrunner or whatever. And, um, and you, and, and there you have it. And I also just like the immediate gratification of like, you have in network, in network, this isn't really true in cable and certainly not true in, in Netflix. Um, 
But in network, you know when your show's going to air before you even start writing it. Right. You are right. on a schedule, and it's going to happen. That train yeah. is moving. And so um, it, there's something about knowing that that it's going to get out there and that, that focuses the mind. I used to say, like, I... I when the terror strikes, that's when I get really serious about my writing. Mm-hmm, and, yeah. You know, and and as you've done it longer and longer, the terror waits longer and longer to strike. But when, but it will strike. So, um, but I like that about it too. And now, of course, television is the place to be because you can tell so many different stories. And film has come to television because, right now at least, most of the films are are. You know, superhero stories, which I'm a big fan of, but they're all big CGI monster fights. Right. Where they are, you know, a few uh, Oscar, you know, they're, they're Oscar bait, and God bless those. But for the most part, the kinds of movies that I would want to write, they're now on Netflix and Amazon. And, um, you know, they're, 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 they're smaller stories, but they're deeper stories. Right. And they go on for a much longer time. Right. I like the fact that in television, you can, you can, fold out characters and stories incrementally and really have it feel real and have it uh, be detailed. And um, so, yeah, I just, I love the TV. I always did love the TV format, but I particularly love it now. Well, even more so, I mean, you see all these limited series coming out, especially on Netflix. It makes me wonder how how often those were supposed to be films, but then transferred over to the television side just because they felt like they could tell the story better through however many episodes for the limited series rather than the hour and a half, two hours for the film. So that makes complete sense. I think that happens a lot. I'll tell you that I've been sent books that uh, were like bestsellers and all this stuff, and but they're several years old, and I'm like, where's this book been? Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, well, you know, they thought they want to make a film of it, but it's a, but it's a book like, uh, you know, it's a book like Game of Thrones, like, you couldn't make a movie. Right, <laughs> like, there's no way. They tried to make a movie in Game yeah. of Thrones, you know? And you get these amazing stories, and you're like, you can't cram that into two and a half hours. Right. Um, so television, now that the quality is there, and that there's a multitude of platforms so that you can find the right place to do it mm-hmm. television is, is so much better for those stories yeah you, you you read something now and you go oh wait a minute i think this actually is a film because it's really kind of a one-off story it's right. not something that has like legs for to go on for for a while absolutely okay so i want to play devil's advocate and kind of the other side of the sword because we, we we pride ourselves on 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 being robust and round and and, and equal All everywhere right. so <laughs> with the invention of streaming and and binge watching if you will do you yeah. think or have you seen because i feel like sometimes especially on network now there are some and and one example that i'm just going to throw out there right now because we don't know the fate of it is uh bluff city law on nbc um uh-huh. do you feel like you don't have enough time to do what you said at the top of that that the little story right there about um developing the characters over a period of time and telling your story do you feel like that maybe especially on network that's gone because if you don't come right out of the gate with 17 million viewers i feel like three episodes in they're talking about canceling you yeah and 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 i mean have you seen that or have you found that side of the struggle and and what's that like as a as a writer or a showrunner knowing that if you don't come flying right out of the gate you might not be able to tell your whole story like you're you're absolutely right and i think that there are differences in in the platforms of network and cable and streamers and we're all sort of finding 
where our comfort levels are. But, but but sometimes because of the way those platforms work, it it requires a certain kind of storytelling. So I think you're absolutely right. With network, one of the things I found so frustrating about network is that they they were feeling those pressures for, because cable was getting so many of their viewers. Now it's it, it's like if you don't get that big number, you really are like from episode two. They're starting to make their decision, and, wow. and maybe wow. even before, maybe even with the testing. You know, it it feels like when I left network, it was it felt frustrating because you would put so much time and energy into something, and it was over so quickly if you didn't make the big splash mm. and then after that you were just trying to get the network to pour more money into advertising or to believe in you or to whatever and they were lowering your budget because you're and I, I get it they have a business to run Absolutely. what I would say about what I would say about streaming um, which I which I I vastly prefer right now and here's why with net with raising Dion uh, we had they t- they gave us the time. It, they said take the time it takes. It'll take the time it takes when the when the pilot script is ready to shoot. We will let you know, and then we'll let you go get a writer's room and, and write the rest of them. When you've written all the script and we're all good with them, and we feel like oh yeah yeah this is the story we we need to tell, then we'll start prepping for production. Then you'll go shoot it. So everything's done like kind of in the time it takes. Right. And right. at the end of the day. I was, I mean, you, what ends up happening is your friends don't know where you are for three years, and it's because you're <laughs> off, you know, you're, you're just, in, you're in a rabbit hole doing one story for, the, I literally pitched Raising Beyond a, uh, August 10th, 2016, and I, it aired August 4th, 2019. Right. So, so I feel like you, you're so deeply into it, and you're off telling one story, and then it drops, but here's the good news, they're all there, and I feel like, with a story like Raising Dion, I, I think it really benefits from everybody knowing that there's big stuff coming and you can actually even see some of it. You wouldn't do that in network. You would get one bite at a time and maybe you lose a lot of your audience in the first one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Netflix or whatever streamers who drop them all at once, you're in for a, it's like, here's the story I'm telling you. And if you're interested, you can see the whole thing right now. Right. I, I love okay great answer because I mean I don't, and wow it was alarming when you say maybe even by the second episode or before they're already making the decision yes. that's got to be yeah. so tough I agree with you I do like the streaming format a lot and you have choice if you want to watch one episode a week that's up to you but if you want it all yeah. at once you've got that so that's an awesome yeah idea. well even more so on the creative side of things they give you that time you feel like you need to actually develop and grow these characters into something great which you know they can be. But the downfall to that with the cable and network is that they want it so quick. They need those numbers so quick. So you're not able to grow that core audience to these characters that you know they'll love if you just give them time. Exactly. Exactly. Like you said, the train train is leaving no matter what because you know it, it, it airs this date and it's airing no matter what. So. Oh yeah, and you feel like in uh, you can feel like in network. And look, I haven't worked in network in several years, so I'm, I imagine they're adapting to what's going on in cable and and, and streaming. But um, yeah, there just is that feeling that it has to be loud and fast, mm, and right. everybody has to. And it's for the broadcast audience, right? It's for a broad audience, and so there are certain shows where you you know that the audience you're going for. They're okay. They're going to sit there and they're going to be patient and they're yep. okay with quiet in right. the beginning. 
and they're okay with that. But when you're doing a broad audience, you can't, nobody's going to sit still for that. The, no. the executives aren't going to sit still for <laughs> no. that. They're going to say, no, you have to come out of the gate and it has to be obvious to everybody what this show's about and we have to get the premise in the teaser. And, you know, so it's just a different way of telling the story. And it also dictates what kind of stories work well in that, in that format. You know, I think there are certain things that work great on network that, I mean, obviously there are good dramas, there are good everything, but I think particularly the formats of, um, I think sci-fi mm-hmm. works, can, can work very well on network. I think comedies work really well on network. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I just feel like that it starts to, you start to read material and go, okay, I think this needs a little bit more of a slow burn mm-hmm. or it needs an audience that you know you're going to have with you and and that they're okay hearing a story uh, incrementally definitely definitely and let's dive even more deep into raising dion you said it took you roughly around two years for the whole thing the whole series to take shape at what point did michael b sign on was he signed on as a cast member first or and then an executive producer or how did that come about michael b found the property oh. he was there he was ground zero he was number nice. one nice um so, so there's a, a a director named Dennis Liu mm-hmm. uh, who came out of NYU, and he wanted to make a calling card for himself to get work, obviously, and he did a really smart thing. He shot a he he made, he primi- primarily was uh, working in commercials, and so he shot a commercial for a show that didn't exist. Mm. And so there's a trailer on net on uh, YouTube uh, called Raising Dion, and it's. And that's what Michael B. Jordan saw. And it's really like moments out of, you know, oh, this is what it could be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's beautifully put together. And so uh, a lot of people found that trailer, and Michael B. was one of them. And one of the other people who found it was a man named Charles King, who had just started a company called Macro. Mm-hmm. And Charles King used to be Michael B.'s agent at WME. And so the, the two of them were bidding against each other oh, trying wow. to get the property. <laughs> And then they were like, why don't we just do this together? So Charles and Macro and Michael B. are the ones who then took it to Netflix and sold it to Netflix. So he's always been there. And then when um, they developed it with Netflix um, for, I think, about a year. That was before my time. I didn't know anything about it. But they developed it for about a year and then ultimately kind of threw away what had been developed. And Netflix loved the idea enough that they said, all right, let's try it one more time. And so they brought in, a, I don't know, a handful of writers uh, to pitch their ideas of how to do this show. And I was one of those writers because uh, I think they they expanded their search to include moms at that point. <laughs> because yeah. of the and um, so that's how I got in the door. And then they basically said to me, we're not going to show you anything that was developed before. Just look at that trailer that Dennis did. And there's there's a one there's a one issue proof of concept uh, um, comic book online that that Dion doesn't even appear in. It's really like a story about Mark and Nicole before Dion's born. Right. And so they said, you can look at those two things, but that's it. And we wow. want Harry Potter. So come in and <laughs> your version of Harry Potter. And so uh, there were kind of no limits. So I just came in and I pitched them the whole, I pitched them the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, uh, they said, great, go do that. And so I, I wrote the pilot and in development with them. And that took about three or four months. And then they go, okay, great, get a writer's room. So I got these amazing writers and we broke story for about six months. 
and wrote scripts and then uh, and then all the writers were gone and it was just me and a bunch of scripts and I had to get them ready for production and then we went to Atlanta and shot for about five months and and then uh, so it, I, I forgot one crucial thing in between I'd written a script and Michael was Michael B Jordan was always involved with the de- development of it he was always on the phone calls he was right. always in the meetings he was always giving notes he was always there and then um, they got the script finally and Netflix was like we're really happy with the script and there was just that moment of like but if Michael was in the show <laughs> you know and Michael had sort of said from the beginning he had told me from the beginning look if I need to be in the show I'll be in the show I had, I had pitched it with him as the dad right and so um, he was always up for that so then he did and he was magnificent and he was such a good partner and well, I got to tell you yeah. too. Uh, he was in a lot more episodes than I anticipated. Yeah, like when same. I first heard about the series, and I thought, and you know, and he was out there talking about it and stuff. I'm like, well, this is good, but he can't possibly be like in. A, and he's yeah. in a lot of the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's like heavily featured in the show, which was awesome. Which which leads me to let's talk about the casting oh, because look, at the you know when you were talking about the you know the differences between film and television, and you and you brought up the superhero genre and the films and the CGI and all this stuff. What I think you did brilliantly with Raising Dion is you're telling a superhero story, but you're keeping it grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the family dynamic and, and the realism and the personalism between these characters that you were able to keep in this story is absolutely phenomenal. And I think that's because the casting is brilliant. I mean, these people are so believable in the roles that you created and the roles that you've written, and you, you just feel for them. Like, you can identify and attach to them immediately. So how did you go about casting this show? Because, I mean, they're just perfect. Thank you, and thank you for saying all that. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Thank you. Um, well, we, you know, first of all, you start from Michael B. Jordan. So right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was cast before anybody. That's a good um, start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then, um, you know, then we had a casting director, Christine Cromer, who's in New York City, and she's fantastic. And so we had her just scouring the place for kids, and um, she, we saw a billion zillion kids, and then, but... Fairly early on, uh, Josiah Young, who plays Dion, Josiah showed up on one of the casting tapes in New York. He's from Pennsylvania, but he, he auditioned out of New York. And he kind of very quickly was the front runner. We all really loved him, and he seemed, he was just natural. A lot of kids, God bless them, uh, are kind of programmed, right? And, right? and you can tell that their parents have, have just you know, rehearsed it within an inch of its life. And I understand why, but when that person gets on a set, they need to be able to, well, they need to be more natural than that. But in our, our auditions, we had them do the lines, but we also had them, um, improv because we, we want to just get them out of those line readings. Right. And Josiah just didn't really have the line readings. He, he was so funny. He came into the, um, we had a final, final callback, uh, sort of a chemistry read. We had five Dion's and five mothers, and we had not yet found Alicia. We had five other uh, moms, and um, we had we mix and matched and had them all work together and stuff. And just, but when Josiah came in the room, he was like, "I I am Dion. No, I I am Dion." <laughs> and he did, he did this thing where he did like a magic trick where he made the. He was really just flipping on the on and off the light switch. Right. He was, doing a, he was doing a thing that was supposed to fool us to say that he was turning the lights out. And 
he, he was just so playful and so natural and uh, so loving. Like, I have kids. I, like, Josiah came in at the end of his audition. He came over and, like, hugged every one of us and said, thank you for letting me be Dion today. I mean, he was just oh, yeah. kind of amazing. Was Esperanza, like, was that an original ca- – that wasn't part of the original storyline, right? Was she written into that, or how would that come about? Yeah, Esperanza is my, my, my little invention because uh, I – because of the, I've lived in the world of special needs kids, and I know a lot of kids in that uh, in that space. Mm-hmm. And my son had a, a, a best friend named Esperanza. She's a real person. I and she's, but she's not um, the real Esperanza is not in a wheelchair. But but I sort of just took Esperanza's personality and grafted it onto the character of Esperanza. So <laughs> she's a mother hen. She does not see any kind of. Uh, she doesn't see herself in any way as less than anything, and she's just so funny and odd and I but what's amazing about finding Sammy Haney is that if I showed you the script page where she where that character is introduced it, it is Sammy Haney I I, had, I I wrote her she's in a wheelchair she's uh she's Latinx she's um you know she has big glasses on like the whole thing and when when we finally found Sammy and it took a while but when we finally found Sammy it was literally like she just rolled off the page it was <laughs> I couldn't believe we found her yeah. and she had big pink glasses and we love them so much. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she was, she was written in. I mean, she was, I, I try to put, uh, people with disabilities or special needs kids or, you know, outsiders in, in most of the things I do. And so she was my, uh, I was like, Dion's going to have a, uh, well, the truth is, and I told the real Esperanza this recently, I said, so I named a character after you. And, um, I said, you know, I just remember how protective you were of my son and what a good friend you were to him at a time he really needed friends. And I said, I just wanted Dion to have that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Esperanza is there. And she doesn't, in the wheelchairs, you know, she doesn't lead with the wheelchair. She's not there just for the wheelchair, but, um, but it was written that way. Exactly. That's so great because Sammy played that role so brilliantly, honestly. Like, just her interaction back and forth with Josiah was absolutely phenomenal. Like, especially, I go back to that classroom scene because you talk about there's so many stories that were actually told in this series. And I go back to that classroom scene where Dion lifts her up out of her chair to, like, make her feel like she can fly. But he's not thinking about how she would feel in that moment. So it's just so diverse. The storytelling is so brilliant. And like I said, Sammy was just great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, she's a find, man. She's something. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now what about Nicole? Because that is such a pivotal role in the storyline. How did Alicia Wainwright come into the picture? I mean, that must have been crazy trying to cast her. So we saw uh, saw so many women, and we saw so many amazing women we, by the way, we saw every woman who was ever in any cast of Hamilton. <laughs> and, and they're amazing. And But at the end of the day, Netflix was like, I don't think you found her yet. And we were so heartbroken because we were so ready to set the date to start shooting. Right. Sure. And, um, and we were like, okay, let's get back to it. And we all just felt like we're never going to find her. But in the next round of auditions, Alicia showed up on the tape because her show, Shadowhunters, was 
was canceled mm-hmm. while we were looking. And when when her show was canceled, she showed up on the casting tapes. And we so when we saw her tape, we all started like calling each other behind mm-hmm. the scenes. We didn't want to say anything on email in front of everybody, right. but right. like we we started calling each other, going, "This is her, right? Like this is the one." And and then it was Michael B. who was like, he goes, we, we said we were going to have uh, chemistry reads again. And he goes, yeah, you can read as many people as you want, but she's, she's the one. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> okay. Like so, yeah, when Michael B. says, no, it's Alicia, you're like, nope, it's Alicia. It's yeah, Alicia. I mean, you know. It's Alicia. And we all felt that way anyway, but yeah, no, we were like, nope. Yeah, and he totally had casting approval, particularly over that role. But right, well, I tell you what, yeah. she was absolutely perfect because she's just captivating. Like when I she's agree. on screen, you can't take your eyes off of her. Yeah. I mean, she's just oh, okay. and whether she, you know, in the mother role or whether she's going, you know, head to head with just. It, it, I mean, her and Josiah together yeah. were just my, <laughs> great. Honestly, I, I got to tell you that scene so where natural. they're singing in the car yeah. has got to be like one of the best things I've I seen ever. Yeah. I mean, it's so good, so good. Um, and she's just an amazing young actress. I hadn't seen her before. This was the first time I had seen her in anything, and just brilliant. I just thought she was a brilliant cast. Um, Thank you. But I got to tell by you, the way, she hadn't really done much because. Four years before we met her, she was a PhD student in botany. She's oh, a scientist. Wow. wow. And yeah, and so what happened was she was going for her PhD, and th- there was a certain very specific area that she wanted to study, and she was having trouble getting funding for that area, and she was being told to go into this more generalized area, and she just said, "I don't, I don't want to do that." And so she took a year off and just traveled. And while she was traveling, then uh, she got asked to do some modeling gigs. And anyway, one thing led to another. And she was like, well, if I'm going to do this kind of thing, I need to learn how to act. Because she's a super, she's a super serious, like, she's awesome. I adore her. But she is not a flighty person. She's not somebody who grew up like, I'm going to be an actress. She's, she was a scientist. (laughs) And so she, um, she started taking super serious acting classes. And very quickly, she got cast on Shadowhunters, Mm -hmm. which is the show she was on. And it lasted for two years and literally it got canceled and we snapped her up so she hasn't done much well that's one of those things like she, she takes a year off she, it's one of those living life adventure exactly. things right that you yes. never know what's going to happen when you do it exactly. so, I mean that's exactly. epic okay but the secret weapon in my opinion and, and, and J-Lo's going to back me up on this Logan's going to back me up on that we are all huge 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 fans of Jason Ritter we have basically oh, I, I, I have followed his career extensively since the get go since yeah. I first saw him uh, i just think he's a brilliant actor and when you cast jason ritter and okay I, I, spoilers for all of our listeners out there i'm gonna spoil now because i think people yeah. have seen it at this point i'm hoping um you never think jason ritter bad guy i mean you know he is the perfect lovable dork kind of you just want to squeeze him up and then he's this horrific bad guy and i'm thinking yeah. this is brilliant and a, and a credit to your writing, I didn't see it coming. And I'm normally really good at seeing things coming. I didn't see it coming. So it, w- it was brilliant. How did you land Jason, and how did he get involved? Because he was just phenomenal. And I thought his chemistry with Josiah and Alicia, was and Michael, for that matter, was great. He's so good. I mean, he, I've always been a fan of his as well. I think the first time I saw him was on Joan of Arcadia, and I just always just loved him. Um, when when we when we were when we started casting this, and I had my first meeting with our casting director, she said, "You know who I thought of for Pat? I thought of Jason Ritter." And I said, "Yeah, let's yeah call Jason Ritter. If he'll do it, let's just 
do that. Like, I don't need to see anybody. <laughs> I, I knew, and by the way, it's never that easy, and it wasn't that easy this time. We had to go through everything. But, um, but he wanted to do it from the beginning. He had a bunch of other things scheduled, and we had to kind of, and he was having, his wife was having a baby, so there was a lot to schedule, but he wanted to do it from the get. And that's before he knew that he was the bad guy. He loved the pilot. Right. He just loved that character. And he's like, I am that guy. I mm-hmm. am Dipper from, from uh, you know, uh, Gravity Falls. I am that guy. And, and so, so then there came a point where I had to call him and say, okay, dude, here's the deal. <laughs> here's who you really are. And then he was like, now I have to do it. You have to do it this far. But the, the, the hope was we needed somebody who, when the audience saw that he was in the cast, that they immediately trusted him and mm-hmm. they immediately loved him yep. and you enjoy his company and you don't suspect anything because he's just so disarming and goofy and whatever. And the story is built so that you think his purpose in the story is that he's the kind of sidekick guy who never gets the girl but really wants the girl and all mm-hmm. of that's true but um but there's something much much darker <laughs> there <laughs> and, we, and when we uh when we when we broke the story in the writer's room we broke the crooked man's story separate from pat's story but they were right next to each other on the board so that we could make sure that they made sense mm-hmm. and that they timed out and that um you know when he got sick when he didn't you know what what is you know, motivations were how right. when the when the sickness is escalating, what he's doing, and mm-hmm. so you know, it, it it was it was a whole it was a whole thing. But it makes me so happy that you didn't see it coming because I'm sure you're able to kind of look at the landscape of the show and go, oh, I get where this is going. Right, and right. I appreciate that. Nor- normally, yes, but not on this one. I was like totally shocked. <laughs> it was crazy, honestly, because I mean, he was such the warm, loving guy that was like, oh yes, he's such a great godfather to Dion, and like you kind of wished he would have ended up with Nicole I mean right when that kind of went sideways we were like oh man that sucks <laughs> here's how bad we are here's how bad we were actually mad at Nicole yeah. we're like well she <laughs> is leading him on she is doing the bad <laughs> like it was it was so good but what I really like though is that he was Pat was written so well I think that even when you find out he's the bad guy and even when he's doing some really nasty stuff I was still rooting for him I'm like no no he's dying he he's got a reason he's being bad yeah it's it's the the radiation you still wanted to like have things work out for this guy and I I just think that's a credit to how you crafted the character And, and I thought that was really interesting what you just said that you wrote Pat and Crooked Man separate that's like really yeah. interesting so and yeah like the whole cabin scene when you, the final reveal happens like the whole cabin scene when he goes to go try to get Dion I'm just like oh no he feels so, I feel so bad for him in general but then like the overall storyline it was just brilliant it honestly. was it, it was fantastic and look we're really pulling we're with Jason on this we saw Jason retweet you know like if you want a season two do we're all over that we yeah. want a season Thank two you. really really bad so we're just gonna keep promoting the shit out of this show because we really want it and i need to know is jason coming back what what's the deal with how exactly. that ended like are we gonna see jason ritter again I we don't know shit. um <laughs> but um yeah i just i it was great it was phenomenal um huge congratulations to you and i'm so it's so interesting to hear the process of how it all yeah, came together exactly. so so guys and gals if you're out there listening you're a fan you're trying to break into the industry rule number one call michael b <laughs> If you, if you want anything done, yeah. 
Um, okay, I want to get serious for a minute, though, because, uh, you know, part of the whole thing, and, and if you don't mind talking about this, I just think it's really interesting because we've had some guests on in the past, and we've kind of had this as a topic in the past over the last couple of years. As a female showrunner and as a female yeah. writer and, and leading a writer's room, what has that been like over the last couple of years with the Me Too movement and then moving into the whole broader spectrum of trying to get more diversity and trying to have more women lead in, in, in on shows and in television and film. Did you run into any of the experiences or the struggles um, early on in your career? And have you seen a change? How has it been over the past couple of years? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting story. All of that stuff happens and it happens a lot. And I think that people feel vulnerable to it early on in their careers. And so, and I have had friends who've dealt with those kinds of situations. I can only tell you my story mm-hmm. and, and I don't really have that story, although I've witnessed really bad behavior. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to be a showrunner because when I, uh, when I became a showrunner, I had, when I became a writer, I already had my two kids. I have two sons mm-hmm. and my kids were little and I was really lucky. The first show I was on, Province, had a super awesome and professional and wonderful showrunner named Bob De Laurentiis, and he liked his family and mm-hmm. he liked to go home. <laughs> and he didn't he didn't work out his weirdness on any of us. He he was very much like, hey, you're a staff writer, which is the lowest level. You're a staff writer. You don't have to be here all the time. Write your scripts. Be here for the story breaks, and then go home with your kids. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to be here. And he was great that way. So I had a really good example when I first started off of a a showrunner who was a good guy and a a healthy person emotionally. Um, So that when I, when I, but I certainly knew about terrible, terrible work Mm -hmm. situations that other people had. And, um, I, I didn't experience any of that to tell you the truth. What I have found is that, um, I I became a showrunner so that I could create and control the environment and mm-hmm. the culture of the show. Number one, so that I could get home to my kids, mm-hmm. and that so that if I wanted to stop the writers' room at six p.m. and get home to my kids, and then write from nine to two in the morning if necessary, then right. that's what I did. But it didn't mean that I had to be in a writers' room until two in the morning. You know, I so because I was in charge. So um, so becoming a showrunner was one of the ways to defend against that. I really haven't had that kind of, um, it's probably happened to me and I'm not even aware of it in terms of not getting certain jobs or not, I don't know, it may be, but I started out, I became a showrunner at CBS under Nina Tassler and there were a lot of female showrunners there at that time and I felt very supported. The first two shows I was on and they both ran for five, six years each, one was Providence, which was a chick show, and one was Judging Amy, which was a chick show. So I felt like the beginning of my career into me becoming a showrunner, mm-hmm. I was on female shows with predominantly female staff. So I um, I, I felt pretty um, stable by the time I became a showrunner. I haven't had much of that in terms of men not uh, respecting me or not, I, I, because you kind of handpick the people that you feel comfortable with. Right. And, and if you're not comfortable with them, you fire them. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, so that that takes care of that but um i i think that what i have definitely seen with raising dion is that and and going forward i i will always do this and uh, to the best of my ability um we need uh, our, raising dion our default was to have women and people of color in every role absolutely and that and and so we had plenty of of 
white dudes, and I love my white dudes, so I, yeah, I have no problem with my white dudes, but it's like we had plenty of them on the staff, but our default position was let's find excellent people in these roles who don't get these positions and exactly. also not have one token person or one woman in the room. I can't tell you how many times I was the only woman in the room. Mm. Um, so, and sometimes when I was the showrunner, you know, because of what the show was or who was making the decisions about staffing. Um, so with, with Raising Dion, we have the most diverse staff I've ever been on uh, in terms of uh, people who are uh, racially diverse, uh, a lot of women, and people who were, uh, you know, uh, non-binary or, or, or you know, uh, sexual orientation. Right. We, we had a very diverse staff and what was, and then a very diverse crew. I mean, you, people would walk onto our set and they were like, I have never seen this many people of color behind the cameras. It's like uh, uh, the whole crew, you know, so it was, what was wonderful about it was I really understood in a deep way that you get different stories told mm-hmm. when people are in the room. I, I, there were stories in Raising Dion that I could not possibly have known. Number one, uh, the, the, we have a writer named uh, uh, Dana Jackson, and who's fantastic. And Dana, when he came to meet with us about staffing on Raising Dion, he he said, "Oh, I love how the, you know raising you know this little this little African American kid and his superpowers." That you have that you're doing this metaphor of what it's like to be black in America right. and how she's going to have to protect him and she's going to have to have the talk with him and I was like, what are we talking about here? Right. And Dane is the one who pitched that whole story, and so because to me, I I saw Dion in a different way, which mm-hmm. was um, from my own lens right. because I have two kids and one of my kids was born extremely premature. And so had some special needs. So when I saw the story, I thought, oh, well, this is a mom of a special needs kid. His special need is just that he's got superpowers. But it's really the same thing. You're trying to get that kid through life and negotiating life and how to, you know, you have to keep him safe from the world and keep the world safe from him. Figure out what he's capable of. Feel out, Figure out how he can be the best he can be. All of that. So to have Dana come to me and say, oh, I see it this way. It's like. Oh yeah, we're get, we're gonna tell these. We is, so many stories can exist under this umbrella, but I wouldn't have known that had I not had a diverse staff. Absolutely. And and what I love about that is that you say, you know, diverse writer's room, a diverse, you know, executive staff, diverse crew, it heavily played over into the, the in front of the camera, Agreed. you know, the, the talent, because it was also yeah. a very diverse cast. And I think that yeah. shows. And I love the idea because, you know, Dion, he, he's basically his whole life been around, you know, Pat, who's this white guy. He, he has no clue there are bad white people out right. there. You know, so that storyline was brilliant, by the way. And um, so, yeah, I just, again, I, I mean, kudos on the show, and we're really pulling for a season two. I just think this has been like a really informative – I just love how how it's been extremely entertaining talking about Raising Dion and all of the stuff, but then so informative about your thought process about how it came about and what went into the characters and how you found the people. And, and just – this is the kind of stuff that I, I love, these type of interviews where you can have a really good time and yet it's so informative and so helpful to people that are listening and trying to do these things. It, it, it's been like – I love these things. A great job. Huge congratulations. Thank you so much. And thanks to you guys. I mean, this is this is so much fun to just talk to people who are, you know, fans of TV, fans of writing, fans of all of this, and really are knowledgeable about how it all gets put together. So 
thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Well, and honestly, it helps us out a little bit because we are also a television and film production company and have our stuff oh, in the works at the moment. So right. you're helping us out a lot. Good. Well, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah always informative. Always helps. With, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we love that. So, okay, what do you have coming up? Because we, we have to know. I, we're hoping season two of Raising yeah. Dion. Um, but what else do you have in the works? What you got coming up in the future? I have, um, yeah, I'm definitely holding, you know, fingers are crossed for season two. I'm, I'm I'm hoping for that. Well, we should know in the next not too distant future. Um, so definitely that. But um, I have two pitches that I'm taking out with different production companies, <clears throat> uh, ba- both based on books. One of them's a half-hour comedy um, based on a memoir of a of a woman, and uh, it's called Help Me. She mm-hmm. decides that she's going to do um, uh, self-help books and, and and really really do them chapter and verse until her life is perfect. Um, and then there's another one that is uh, based on a sci-fi book called The Calculating Stars. It won the Nebula Award and the Orion, and the, uh, the she's it's won a bunch of awards. Um, and that's a that, that's an alt history of the space program that's where women and people of color are sort of building it from the beginning. So oh, awesome. um, that's a big world sci-fi, big world thing. Um, so I've got that, and then there are, I, there are a couple of things that are, are sort of being offered to me. So I'm I'm weighing those now, but um, it's exciting. It's it's cool because some of the people are calling me and saying, "Okay, I saw Raising Dion. You're the perfect person to write this." It's like, oh, okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I would have to agree. I mean, I just think there's like massive things coming in your future because how can how can there not be after Raising Dion? It was just so brilliantly done. Uh, just fantastic. Um. Okay, where can everybody follow you? Because social media is the end-all, be-all today, and we want to make sure everybody can follow you. So where can they find you? Yeah, uh, Instagram. I'm not on Twitter uh, right now. I, I came off Twitter, but I'm, I'm Instagram, cbarbie1. Uh, that would be great. We awesome. got you. We got you. And what we like to do at the end of every interview is have our guests leave a little piece of advice for the up-and-comers trying to break into the industry. And so what pitfalls would you say to try to avoid? Um, I would say, well... The thing I really love to t- say to people is something that was said to me by only one person, by the way. Uh, there was only one person who said this to me, but it was enough to, to, to make me feel like I could do it. Um, the main thing is come do it. Come do it. Like, jump in. Yes. Jump in. Don't ask for permission. Jump in. People are making making their lives in this industry and telling stories and making their dreams come true every day. Mm-hmm. Why not you? It's, it's absolutely possible. And you just have to, you know, come here and start networking and writing and writing and writing or whatever it is, the whatever part of the business you want to be in. But if you're a writer, write and make those connections. And uh, I just like people to understand that it's that it's possible because I think that it can feel so impossible when you're from a little town, you know, in North Carolina or wherever. It can feel kind of impossible. And it's just not. And once you kind of get hooked on the joy of collaborating and telling stories with people, um, if you've got good stories to tell, if you've got stories to tell, and if you're willing to willing to work hard, it's just possible. So come on out, come on out and do it. 
I love that. Yeah, so seriously. inspiring. That's our philosophy as well because, you know, we came when we when we met each other and we got together and formed our company and are doing what we're doing. We were in like Biloxi, Mississippi, which like really nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And like now we're based in LA. We're working on several projects. We're doing this podcast and we're meeting all kinds of people and networking. And you're right. You can do it. If you're determined and, and you want and you, you have a goal and you have a dream and you work hard, you can do it. And so it's always yeah. here to, you know, nice to hear people like yourself so inspiring and for other people to hear that i just we cannot thank you enough for that well thank you guys i'm i'm really i'm so happy to get to talk to you guys and thank you for the love for raising dion it's just so appreciated it's such a personal you know it's such a personal project and i i just am so i, I really appreciate it oh yeah we we appreciate you <laughs> yeah, yeah seriously seriously and i mean if you ever want to come back on open invite honestly if you have any other shows that you're wanting to promote in, in the near future you know you know <laughs> like raising dion yeah. season two, <laughs> like season two. Yeah, that's right exactly. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Not a problem. Open invite. And uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week because we know you got a lot of things coming. Thank you. You guys too. All right. Thank you. Have a good day now. Bye. Bye. That was so good. Oh my gosh, dude. That is like the most, I mean, those interviews, they're so uplifting yeah. and so inspiring. And she just, I mean, from the very start of the interview, bro, is like, how did you get started? Well, I jumped. Exactly. I leapt I and, and boom. And I mean, how many times do we say that on the show? That's us, man. Exactly. She starts the show with leap take the leap and go for it she ends the show with you can do it from no matter where you're coming from if you if you work hard and believe it you can do it i mean you start that way you finish that way you can't get better than that exactly exactly thank Thank you again carol Carol barbie Barbie. coming on the show all right now it is time for our top five segment oh man we teased it a little bit last week and at the top of the show top five joe pesci movies oh man there's so many to choose from dude (laughs) this one was like and this is what i love because when you and me get together we get crazy we start like talking brainstorming and it's like oh shit well why don't we do this one you know because you know if anybody was listening to the show last week and we know you were this just sprung from j-lo's love of home alone (laughs) the only reason this top five is existing today is because j Exactly, exactly. (laughs) With Christmas time coming back around, it's about time to start binge watching those over and over and over again. And over and over and over again. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, let's get this thing started. My number five is Raging Bull, him playing Joey alongside Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah. Another Martin Scorsese film that was on your top five Martin Scorsese films. Absolutely, man. Such a brilliant character, brilliant movie. Uh, Number four, JFK. Mm. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people forget he was in that one. Yep. But go back, watch it. There he is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number three. I mean, this is, I mean, hands down. Hands down. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. I exactly. mean, yeah, yeah. What kind of funny am I? Am I ha-ha funny? Exactly. Or am I like, take you over a bridge and shoot you funny? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not the words. But, you know, you know. And my number one and number two. 
Duh. Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I'd have called total bullshit if they weren't your number one and number two. And I it's mean, funny. I just uh, – even though, like, well, you can only pick one. No, I, I can't. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> the first one I have a love, dear appreciation for, but the second one is so brilliant, set in New York. I just – so good films, so good films, and Disney don't fucking remake them. Yeah, no. Please don't <laughs> do that. I mean, it, but it's happening. I, I mean, God bless America. It's happening. And like, why? I know. We don't want that to happen, damn it. I know. I think the only way that they should make these is if they get approval from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Casting choice, Jacob well, Trembley, uh, Jacob Trembley, and yeah, I I don't know who I would pick for the uh, the burglars there, but I don't know. That's tough. Yeah, man. that yeah. is tough. I mean, mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. okay, all right, well. <laughs> Now that we now that we've just absolutely determined that no um, Home Alone is moving forward without J Lo. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Executive right. producer. That's right. Let me let, let me give you mine. <laughs> Once upon a time in America. Oh yeah. Like I mean, hardcore gangster film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like if you don't have gangster films on there, what are you doing? I know, right? Joe Pesci <laughs> like, is like the epitome of right. Um, and then of course Goodfellas, like you said. I mean, like how can you not have Goodfellas on there? And I'm going to continue my theme. Casino. Yeah. I mean, come on, he's brilliant in so casino good. i mean like this guy i don't think you can do which is why i'm glad they got him for irishman mm-hmm. it took a whole lot of time a whole lot of begging a whole lot of work to get him but they whole got him lot. i don't think you can do a legit gangster movie without mm-hmm. joe pesci mm-hmm. you just can't do it he's brilliant okay and these top two more of a comedic thing than his gangster you know kind of a but i loved him lethal weapon two and and three and five his character of Leo in those Lethal Weapon movies yeah. was fucking hilarious. The 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 thorn in the lion's paw, if you will, that just could not stop giving shit to Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. I mean, and yet, but you you loved him. You you wanted so bad to hate this guy, but you love him because know, he's right? just that a, annoying pain in the ass relative that you want to get rid of, but you love. Yeah, Leo, man, just nailed it. And then much along the same lines, a relative that you love that's <laughs> yeah. just a total doof, yeah. like. A, my cousin Vinny, yes. the Utes, the Utes. I mean, so brilliant. Good, Marissa Tomei won an Oscar for that film. I think Joe should have probably gotten it too. It was just brilliant that character, man. I, I just, mm. I know. Joe Pesci, man. Agreed. Please don't go back into retirement. They yeah, drug him out for exactly. Irishman. Like, stay out for a little bit, bro. We we missed you. Agreed, agreed. Phenomenal actor, well deserved of all of his accolades. Just killing it, killing it, man. Accolades. That's a good word. Yeah. Accolades. Yeah. <laughs> Box office recap, man. Mm, Terminator underperforming last week. Uh, I was expecting so much more, which actually we went and saw it. It's good. It's really good. Exactly. You know, I I just feel like I liken this to Superman Returns. Yeah. Like where you forget Superman 3 and 4 and you're like, no, no, this is the actual finish up. You know, when they did Brandon Routh and it was a great finish to the Christopher Reeve storyline. That's exactly how I liken this one. Forget all the other Terminator movies in between. This is the actual follow-up sequel to, you know, Terminator and Terminator 2. So you liked Superman Returns? I, I thought it was a fitting end to the Christopher Reeve okay. era. Yeah. I mean, as, I never saw those, but that standalone, I know. No, as uh, as best you could. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there were, I mean, without Christopher Reeve, you, yeah, it's you hard. know. Yeah. But I thought Brandon Routh did an exemplary job of portraying, if you will, Christopher Reeve's Superman, because yeah. that's what he did. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that that was the right way to clean it up, because, yeah. God, three and four were awful, yeah. okay? I mean, like, 
really awful. Gotcha. And I feel like that's with Terminator too. Well, they had yeah. some crazy hit and misses after T2. Yeah. And this one was really solid it though. It was. It was. I mean, for a whole bunch of people that haven't seen the original films, like myself, they basically tell you what happened in the first 15 minutes. So you can go see this film without seeing the ones prior. Yeah. And, it, for spoiler alert, change the history yeah. of the first two films. Exactly. So anything that you thought moving forward, like, they they just – anything that you thought was definitively solved and or predicted at the end of T2 – changes in the first 15 minutes of, of this one yeah. so you should definitely see it um again who using the de-aging technology yeah. holy shit yeah. wow yeah. um john connor yeah but i do i do i i liked this one and i thought it set up for a nice new storyline and new yeah. trilogy coming but we all know box it, office it bombs if it'll get there man. They, they don't they don't get there so exactly with the slow box office weekend terminator dark fate only pulled in 29 million I predicted 30 to 35. Yeah, and this was weird because your initial thoughts, 30 to 35, were about what everybody – then it jumped to 40. Yeah. Then it jumped to 45. Then it went back down into the 30s and it ended up only making 29. Right. So I don't think anybody in the industry could figure yeah. this one out. Yeah. And then it like it got a lot of good buzz right. and then it did eh, – eh, yeah. eh, 29. Exactly. It's funny I say that because I just wanted to transition into this. Lady Gaga made sure to come out and say her and bradley cooper's relationship is nothing more than platonic they wanted to make they wanted to sell it at the oscars to like basically be the character so people would be like in awe of them so whatever you want to say <laughs> i'm just calling bullshit uh, yeah. <laughs> i mean i think something developed maybe they're just platonic now but i'm just gonna say i think something developed yeah i, I mean, mean it is why? pretty odd that he left his woman she leaves her man mm-hmm. they like all kind of this going on and i mean i just come on now yeah, it's, and it's okay i mean that shit happens fine. it's fine you get angelina that? jolie brad pitt Nick exactly exactly like, it happens it happens yeah. i mean yeah just yeah uh, just call him bullshit number two was <laughs> joker with 13.5 million i predicted it would be maleficent mistress so i got these two flip-flop um but it was it barely beat melissa uh yeah. angelina jolie yeah uh, she came in at third with 13 million joker came in at 13.5 right so it was it was slower, it was slower. and what getting ready to cross the billion dollar mark yeah. though joker is yeah. one of dc's most successful films of all time I wasn't expecting that no i, I mean i don't think anybody was no. warner brothers sure wasn't no. this bad boy came in at like a 60 something million dollar budget it's about to make a billion dollars they're pretty happy exactly. i'd say exactly this next one we went and saw as well harriet overperformed mm. did phenomenal at the box office great story oh my gosh like, yeah so good so good and if there's not an academy award nomination for best actress there i'm shocked i thought you you heard us we talked about this a couple of weeks ago because when i went and saw judy i thought that renee zellweger was a lock mm-hmm. like nah, she's getting it there's no hands down that that's the done deal i might be wrong yeah because harriet would just it was brilliant yeah. all the performances were brilliant and i just feel like maybe she's got some competition yeah. now and, and you know who the main character what we recognize her from she's the girl from bad times at el royale yeah yeah she's that 
brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, she and she's able to sing in it because exactly. she's a singer first yeah. before an actress, and she just absolutely. I really do feel like maybe she's gonna get it. Definitely. Go see that film though, guys. It's great. It's really good. It's really good. And number five was the Adams Family. You know, Halloween was last week, so this only makes sense. Uh, it came in at eight point three million. I predicted five to ten million. Uh, but oof, we got some big hitters coming out this weekend. Mm-hmm. At least we're hoping. Um, new movies coming out. Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. That's right. Not Red Rum. No. Not no. The, all the posters have Red Rum no. predominantly on them. No, no. I can't it's tell you name. how many people I keep hearing say, "You gonna go see Red Rum? You gonna go?" It's not fucking Red Rum. It's Doctor Sleep. So but crazy, man. <laughs> so crazy. The sisters, the twins are back. So oh my gosh! Be dude. prepared for that. I'm guy. terrified. Yeah. I I I I was a young kid when I saw the original Shining, and those scary ass twins terrified me yeah. gave me nightmares i am a grown-ass adult now but i am pretty sure when i go see this film i'm gonna have nightmares about them fucking twins right they're, right. they're, they're terrifying well and my question is i wonder if the director of dr sleep took a book out of uh kubrick's journal about this because like don't you feel like you want to captivate the same feel the same oh tone, yeah like, yeah the same story basically and, so, and this is going much more in depth oh much more his, in like, depth hours and, and shit. But, but then yet back also because you see all these flashbacks of of the shit that went down in the exactly. hotel and you see a young danny torrance and you see the twins and you see all this so yeah i, I just think this thing is going to be great and i just got to throw this out there because we saw this the other day and i just want to say they have these twins as like dolls that you can buy that talk <laughs> oh, yeah. what kind of a sadistic parent is going to buy these toys for their kids and put them in the room because yeah. that is just sick and twisted okay yeah. these twins are scary it's crazy <laughs> just so but I'm, I'm so excited to go see dr sleep i'm definitely seeing it hell yeah hell yeah we also got last christmas coming out freaking great rom-com it looks like oh uh, yeah Plus, everybody's getting ready for Christmas, even though it's not even Thanksgiving yet. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to go get your Starbucks coffee and your holiday cup, and you're going to go watch a nice romantic movie. It's great. Exactly. Playing with Fire, John Cena. Man, a new comedic role. He liked the cockwalkers. He liked playing that role. So he wants more comedic roles, kind of staying away from the whole wrestling thing a little bit. And Midway is also coming out this week. I'm Mm. excited about that one. Me too, dude. I just feel like that not a lot of people are interested in war movies right now right and like let's be honest about it um is it 1912 is that the name of that movie with benedict uh, i think it? so i think uh, so 1917 1917 that one the one of 1900s that one yeah um, <laughs> world war one exactly i just feel like war films are cinematically beautiful they are they absolutely are. And, you know, I feel like the more stories you can tell from the greatest generation, you need to tell. Yeah. And uh, this one has a very Pearl Harbor feel yeah, to it, it you know, sort of. But, um, yeah, just the Battle of Midway was a significant turning yeah. point in World War II. And, yeah. I mean, the, 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 what went on in that in that war, yeah. just feel like. Another one I likened it to was uh, Flyboys with James Franco. Yeah. It kind of had that feel to it. it but hopefully absolutely. it's better than that because I wasn't a fan of that one. <laughs> no, no, no. But, I mean, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully it has more of the uh, the likability of Pearl Harbor exactly. than, but um, you know it doesn't have a great Faith Hill song in it. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that had a lot to do with Pearl Harbor, but um, <laughs> I don't know. All I'm saying is we're losing 
far too fast all of the members of the greatest generation there yeah. that you know and we don't have too many left so to be able to retell these stories and see their stories i think is important and i hope this one does well agreed agreed but boomers can try to be nice i'm just saying i'm just saying uh movies that you can still go see out of the box office right now countdown black and blue with our boy james moses black that guy oh listen to our interview with him last week it was so freaking oh, phenomenal yeah, it was great. episode 90 go check that out uh you also got maleficent mistress of evil Zombieland 2 joker hobbs and shaw downtown abby gemini man the adams family motherless brooklyn and terminator dark Dude, i think you're gonna keep downton abbey in there and even if it's all the way down to like one screen yeah. it's playing literally in one theater yeah. somewhere in america he's gonna keep it on the still playing list because yeah, you just exactly. like to say it i do <laughs> down, down, it's been a different accent every week <laughs> but it's been an accent no matter i swear to you they have one theater yeah. you guys can find it in like bismarck north dakota but j-lo's gonna say it montana like <laughs> Oh my goodness! But number one, I think will be Doctor Sleep this week. Um, but they're mm, they're predicting it to be like twenty five million. I, I think it'll do a little bit better than that. I hope so. Thirty I to thirty five, so. you know. Yeah. But hopefully not that low. Um, number two, I think will be Last Christmas because I feel like that's just a solid movie that is going to make the numbers fifteen to twenty million. Number four, or I need to do number three first. Huh? That's <laughs> no. Numeric order of... Damn Downton Abbey. Damn. <laughs> uh, number three, I think, will be Terminator Dark Fate with 10 to 15 million. Number four, I think, will be Midway with 10 to 15 million. Number five, I think, will be Joker with 5 to 10 million. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I, I just hope it does good. You know, they're only saying that um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is going to come in at like 16 and a half million what yeah what yeah guys okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say that i'm gonna put this out there because they said the same kind of bullshit about wonder and they said the same kind of bullshit about the greatest showman mm -hmm. both were phenomenal yeah. and both were huge on thanksgiving yeah it's Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. If you're an industry analyst and you don't think people are going to go see Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, you're wrong. I'm sorry. I think this thing's going to be huge. Like, who doesn't want to see Tom Hanks? As Mr. Rogers. I mean, just like, I can't think of a better film on a holiday for a family to go see than Tom Hanks as Mr. Yeah, Rogers. Mr. I'm Rogers. just saying. So like, I think these people are, yeah, whatever prediction you make that week, J-Lo, you're going to get right. Right. Because <laughs> I just feel like we know and they must not. Exactly. Exactly. Tom Hanks. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. So, uh, that's enough said right there. Exactly. Like, I just, I don't know where you got that number from, but those people are on drugs. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, now it is time for the IMDb Pro <laughs> Top Trending segment. Oh, man, we love this app. Literally, every morning, every, every night. night. <laughs> it's true. We are all over it. I mean, because they, they're the best. Exactly. They, like, have everything, bro. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You can track your favorite stars on the star meter, and you can track the latest industry news that is breaking on all the trades, no matter when it breaks because basically if you go on the main page of imdb pro you have basically the same stories just from the different 
trades. So exactly. It's, it's all right there, guys. It's all at the tip of your fingers. Get the app. It's definitely worth it, especially if you're trying to break into the entertainment industry. Well, I mean, I... <laughs> well, that was a lot. You say that was like concise, wrapped up, just like that was brilliant, bro. No, I had to take a nice deep breath after that one. Um, IMDb Pro, I'm surprised, honestly, because I predicted that the Joker would not be the top trending movie this week. But it is. It still is. People are still talking about it because it it is one to talk about. Not it gonna is. Lie. It and is. I mean, another one to talk about is the lighthouse, but that's for a completely different reason. I'm just saying. Why? I mean, would you fuck a steak? <laughs> <laughs> that's my question to you. <laughs> if you don't like lobster, I mean, yeah, you're going you to. You're saying you don't like me lobster? <laughs> <laughs> me lobster? Oh my gosh, <laughs> man. Why was William Defoe naked in that split second? No idea why. Like this movie, guys. Like stay away from porcelain mermaids. Yeah, seriously. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Uh, top trending TV show goes to <laughs> The Watchmen on HBO, still rocking and rolling. Oh my gosh! I, I I bet one of the reasons this thing popped up as a top trender is because if you saw that scene, I'm just gonna put it at this scene has been the most talked about thing on my Twitter. <laughs> feed and it was disturbing you guys know mr manhattan you know the blue guy the blue yeah. naked guy or whatever well like they had this scene about his ex-woman who like couldn't get over him because he's like the most powerful man in the unit it's like this whole scene with a mr manhattan giant blue dildo yeah that was like yeah. what that screenshot, <laughs> that I'm screenshot. Like, what the fuck? i am like what is going on it had to have played into this thing being the top trend like oh, yeah. I mean, I think anybody who saw that screenshot's like, I gotta go watch this. Yeah. I gotta see what's going on here. It was like, like all over my Twitter feed, and I was like, Why is there a dildo on my Twitter <laughs> a feed? Right, giant now? blue dildo. Yeah. It was not just a dildo, a giant blue dildo. It was. It was. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Mm. So funny, so funny. And the top trending star is Mackenzie Davis. She's the girl from Terminator. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if a lot of people realize or or, or remember it because I, I mean, I but I hope enough people saw. She was Tully mm. in Tully. Wow. Yeah, you I know, with Charlie Theron, yeah. she was Tully. Wow. And um, she's a brilliant young they, actress. I feel like they, then definitely they definitely shot it in a way that you couldn't tell that she was that tall. Exactly. Yeah. Because oh, she is oh. tall. She's crazy tall. Yeah. I mean it. And I mean, I know Arnold has shrunk a little bit over you the know. years, but she was like taller than Arnold. Yeah. I mean, she this is a tall woman. Wow. But yeah, yeah sure enough, Tully, man. And that was a great movie. Phenomenal movie. She's a good actress. I bet this is not the last we see of her. She's probably going to be around for a while. No, I agree. Come. Completely. Oh man, let's transition in, into the music side of things. We got some new stuff on our Billboard chart toppers list. Oh, for the top vinyl album sales, it goes to Desert Sessions 11 and 12 mm. by Desert Sessions. Mm. Good for y'all. Um, the top <laughs> album sales goes to Jesus is King by Kanye West. Yes. Yes. Kanye West put out a gospel album. I because he's got that whole church thing going he now, bro. It. He's got his he's own got church. Sunday like, church service. Yeah. It's interesting, to say the least, because his last album, he talked about strangling Kim. So right, it's right. Really weird. Really weird, but we all know he's a really weird guy. Um, <laughs> but he's apparently found Jesus. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, if that's your thing, that's a good thing. Exactly. So. Exactly. Uh, top 
streaming song this week goes to Lose You to Love Me by Selena Gomez. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This one's still making a lot of talk, and it's also the top digital song sales as well. And this is the thing that shocked me on this one. Her first number one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, This is actually her first number one song. I thought she had had one prior to this, but she had not. Mm -hmm. Um, So congratulations to her. Mm -hmm. Um, This one's caused a lot of controversy, though, hasn't it? Like a lot of back and forth heat between exactly. some people yeah. um did you see the mashup you, yeah. you you follow a bunch of stuff on youtube and everything. apparently a fan made a mashup of this song mm-hmm. and justin bieber's sorry oh really and they're like playing back and forth the message back because everybody knows fucking yeah, sorry was about, about selena yeah. and this one is definitely about justin it's a brilliant they, they like edited together the videos wow. and made this one song and so the edit of the song and the videos you should catch it yeah, it's like fantastic that. man it, it got probably more play than both <laughs> of the songs but uh it's really good i, I like the song. i'm glad to see selena back Hell yeah. and i hope she does more acting yeah she's exactly. a great actress she's a great actress i mean right like you said hot 100 selena gomez i mean she really is killing it right now especially last year she had some kidney problems she had a tra- kidney transplant yeah, so it's happy. I'm happy to see her like just back on her feet and doing what she does. And I like the message of the song mm-hmm. because sometimes you do have to lose something that's important to you to find yourself. Yeah, you really do. It's a good message. Like you said, she went through the kidney stuff and a battle with depression yeah. and like Hold all on. this kind of stuff. And I mean, sometimes you just that that's what you need to do. So kudos to her. Glad she's back. And, yep. you know, yeah, then the artist of the week and the Billboard Top 200 album. It goes to Kanye West and Jesus is king so that's getting played a lot just to see what he has to say is he talking about killing jesus we don't know i thought lebron was king exactly i mean i also you know if you're in la and you're saying anybody other than lebron is king i'm just i'm so confused i know and that's a joke for all you people out there for goodness sake please don't come at me okay that was not religious that was not Mm anti-religious that was just a a lebron james joke it was a joke calm down twitter (laughs) (laughs) downtown abby downtown abby that's right <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in this episode oh. 91 of Inside the Crazy Ant Farm. We have to thank our guests one more time, Carol Barbie, for coming on this show. Just a phenomenal interview. Probably one of the longest ones we've had in a long time, but also one of the most informative that yeah, we've had. Yeah, she in was a long so time. easy to talk to. You guys, it, it just if you missed it, if you're coming in on the show later, whatever, listen to the interview because I think it was really fun. But like JLo said, just really informative yeah man and inspiring if you're trying to get in the business this is the woman to show you how to do it agreed agreed make sure to follow us on social media at crazy ant media we're on everything uh facebook (laughs) twitter instagram youtube and reddit we also are on pinterest we are on pinterest we pin things to boards like crazy (laughs) hashtag pin boards like that's right we're pinners yeah (laughs) we're not sinners because kanye has led us (laughs) but but we're pinners (laughs) Uh, follow us both on social media if you want to (laughs) we're some pinners that's right we're some pinners at jlo fantastic and 
crazy hat guy. Nineteen seventy. <laughs> you know what else we're at? Like oh, we're at we're we're in Downton Abbey. Never down, down. No, we're we're at Downton Abbey. That's <laughs> what we're at. You and if you're that. there along with us, you can subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> Listen to it in the main hall. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, and so many more. And one more time, make sure to visit our website, Crazy at the Media. You know who would be awesome to be in Downton Abbey with us though? Oh, bro!